does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Okay, so the big news, and there is big news today to lead off on this hump day Wednesday. The biggest news might be the fact that the elevator shaft is not working from our parking garage and I had to walk all the steps. I had to do the same. That's big breaking news. I told Eddie about that. He was like, yeah, I was here at 10 and the elevators were fine. Thanks for letting me know, guys. So I don't know what happened. Like It took me about three minutes of sitting there waiting and then making the connection that I saw somebody else walking up the ramp. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe there's a reason for that. Because the light, it was the light is on. Yes, the button light is on. Did you do like, t- Did you do detective work? Because I put my hand up to the light and I was like, "Man, this is really warm for an elevator light. Something must be wrong." And then I left and I walked around on the ramp. I didn't think to go that far. That which is smart. I just realized. Wait a minute. Th- there's nobody down here because I park <laughs> two stories below the ground and the light's already on. So there's no way that somebody hit the light oh. and then ran off. See, you had to walk up. See, I'm not yeah. in the luxurious down yeah, underground parking. I went down, so easier walk for me. I had to go get down there. But let's get to the real big news today. Eddie, go ahead and hit it one more time. I can't imagine there's anybody that doesn't know this, but if you were just getting out and about, the Colts earlier today signed guard Ike. Bodiger, is that right? Ike Bedeker, or Bucker. Butker? Bucker, sorry. Do we know what college? No. I'm going to go with uh, E.K. Becker. I'm going to go with Texas Christian. <laughs> Your guess, our favorite game here. Your guess, um, Jimmy Cook. Because his name is Ike, I'm going to say an Ivy League school. Oh, I so said, I'm gonna did say, I say E.K.? I'm gonna say Yale. I was thinking of the former Pacer player, Ike. Yeah. <laughs> Ike Yale. Becker. What's that? I'm going to say Yale. Okay, good guess. Ike Becker, you say Yale, I say TCU. Eddie? I know the answer, so I'm and not going to Iowa. Iowa, okay. So, the former Hawkeye signed at guard. So, you're asking yourself, Jake, that's great. Why is that breaking news? It's breaking news because the roster spot was available because quarterback Anthony Richardson has gone on IR. Anthony Richardson to IR. So, that means, and I think that we kind of knew, did we not, that this was going to be the case, or it was a possibility. Let me rephrase that. I think we knew that that was a possibility because of just where the the bye week falls and you know you kind of get a little bit of extra time so you take the four weeks you get the bye week with it why risk it why rush it let anthony richardson get back 100 percent. but jimmy what this means is of course it is Minshew mania time right the Gardner stash is back guy. the stash is back jake and to your point about placing him on the ir it makes sense for a number of different reasons. The diagnosis, at least, has been recorded by a couple of outlets, including Adam Schefter over to ESPN. Four to eight weeks appears to be the projected timeline for an Anthony Richardson return. You look at where the bye week would fall and where the return matchup would occur against the Buccaneers, potentially. That'd be right around seven to eight weeks. I feel like, both from a mental psyche as well as just the Colts' timeline of things, this allows them to not rush anything. They could take their time with getting him back on the mend. And if he is able to clear that timeline, it still gives you plenty of football left in the back half of the schedule. You're talking about nearly seven, six or seven games for him to continue to get those valuable reps and continue to grow as a starter in this league. It's very disappointing because of the flashes that have been there and you enjoy being along with the ride for your rookie quarterback. But ultimately, once he went down, once the diagnosis of a joint sprain was in there, 
it felt like this was going to be the timeline. No major surprise that he's on IR. Now, the other thing that is going to come into play, you look at their next four games, really their next five, but Jacksonville, Cleveland, New Orleans, and Carolina. You feel good with Gardner Minshew with those games, right? It's not like you're going into some gauntlet here. Pretty good defensive teams, a couple of them, though, right? I mean, Cleveland's pretty good defensively. But the the area of intrigue now is going to be this. And I hope we don't fall too much into this, but it is natural human nature. This is a fan base, and this is a franchise that has essentially seen its last two franchise quarterbacks go through injuries that were a week becomes a month, becomes a half a year, becomes we're just not sure. And I think people forget the end of the Peyton Manning era. You know, the the next surgery, the second surgery, the we're waiting for nerves to regenerate, what's going on, we don't know yet. A lot of that gets lost nationally because of how well he performed in Denver. Correct. Like you easily forget about it because of the second wind he had and the fact that he won a Lombardi out and there. And look, Jimmy, there's no sense in going all the way back down this rabbit hole because right. everybody here knows, but it, you are correct in the fact that when people, and I get it, I have always said it, the, the real disappointment in the long term is the fact that the Manning cast should be broadcasting live from a house on Penn in Williams Creek. Marshall Manning should be getting ready to take Central Indiana by storm by throwing for like 2,000 yards for Park Tudor, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't work out that way. But at the time, people forget the total uncertainty and, and almost the expectation that Peyton Manning would not be able to play. And so, therefore, you know, you kind of had to go that route with it. You are correct. But you have that Marvin Harrison towards the end. If this was a, a must-win game, Marvin would be out there. Uh, you, you have to play and win this game to get into the playoffs. Well, if it was must-win, Marvin would play. Um, if you don't win this game, then your season's over. Well, but yeah, but if it was must-win, Marvin would be out there. Okay. Andrew Luck goes without saying, right? So there is, and I'm not trying to open up old scab wounds here for the people of Indianapolis, but people are going to be skeptical and people are going to be cynical when it comes to figuring out the status of Anthony Richardson moving forward because of the fact that we've been through this before. Like you've just, you've... It's the same fear that Pacers fans have about superstars because of what's happened in the past, right? There's scar tissue there and it's very hard to look past that. 1,000% 1,000% correct. And I get the caution that is given to Colts fans now because, I mean, that's all that separates any player between a successful NFL career and not panning out the way you wanted to, right? One of them is injuries. And it's the same from just from a fan's perspective. I talk about how it's frustrating, particularly the National Football League versus like baseball where you can kind of forget about a loss and move on because there's a game the next day. The National Football League, you're usually waiting a week, sometimes longer, before your next opportunity to see your team out there. And when you flip that, instead of 
win-loss and you just talk about success on the field and the bright spots that have been there for Anthony Richardson so far, it feels like a tease as Colts fans because, okay, we're, we're starting to roll. I can see things he's doing. Like, oh, he had a great throw over there and he's he's able to make good progressions. And even though the injuries have stacked up a little bit, like I think I can see what the Colts are looking at. And now you have to wait seven weeks for it. And then your mind goes places you don't want it to go, which is what you're warning people about, Jake, which is worried about previous injuries from other pieces of the Colts roster over the last 20 years and falling down a rabbit hole of, well, of course he's not going to be healthy because look at what's happened in the past. Like, let's just go one game at a time. But that's so hard to do, though, right? Yeah. So hard to do. You know, I have an apology, a mea culpa, a confession to make. During the Colts game on Sunday, I was up in the press box. I'm sitting next to Andy Sweeney, who you hear in the morning show, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. And I have before me this right here. I'll show it on the, the big screen. The placemat that you get, so to speak, is your little flip card. Looks like what the coaches use when they're covering their mouth and they're talking. That has the roster of both teams, right? So, I flip the roster over to Andy Sweeney. I slide it over to him. I go, all right, here we go. You can pick any school represented on this roster to, to get a degree from. What's your top pick and what's your last pick? And Andy's like scouring over the, the roster. And for the Colts, it's pretty pretty obvious right I mean you look at it and looking at Tennessee we both it jumped out at both of us I'm like whoa wait a minute there's a Northwestern and I think there's a Vanderbilt on there as well and I'm like well there's your answer it's one of those two right you flip over to the cold side and you're like wait a minute immediately jumping out at you Rodney Thomas you're like okay you take the the degree from Yale right yeah I mean Yale jumps there there is no other school that that would be the equivalent of Yale on the roster because there is no Stanford player, right? It's a Notre Dame player on there. Notre Dame does I not. Know. We've not had this, I understand. We've had Yale. this. I know. I understand. Notre Dame's good. It's not Yale. Yeah. Okay. No offense. No, I understand. So I should probably apologize because as I was looking over it, Vanderbilt, rather, by the way, so I would go Yale, Vanderbilt, then maybe Notre Dame or Michigan. Probably a draw there. Miami and Florida's pretty good. Oh, Northwestern. Northwestern would be above those two. So Yale, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, then probably Notre Dame, Michigan. Uh, real slight separation between those two. C- kind of interchangeable. But I, I hate to say this, but the one that I said, and I know nothing about the school, but I'm like, yeah, the, the one I probably would go with last would be Youngstown State. The Penguins. Man, man. Now, you know who went to Youngstown State, of course, right? Give it to me. Look up at the big board in Eddie's fabulous artwork. I would say Drew Ogletree went to Youngstown State. That is State. correct. Drew Ogletree, who's going to join us on the program coming up exactly 24 minutes from right now, a Youngstown State guy. I'd like to ask him how many penguin things he has, and does he root for the Pittsburgh Penguins? <laughs> What do you think? Because there's a carryover from mascot affinity. Well, that and if he if he went to Youngstown, then he's he's you're either Cleveland. He he grew up in Dayton. Yeah. So if you're in, in Youngstown, okay. you're up in the region between you're either a Cleveland guy or you're a Pittsburgh guy. It's kind of like yeah. right on the cusp of the two. And if you grew up in Youngstown, you're definitely a Cleveland guy. But if you grew up in Dayton and then you go there and you've got to pick a side, you might get kind of overwhelmed by the Cleveland side and you go with Pittsburgh. There's also a chance that he doesn't like hockey. 
Well, of, n- neither do we, but we all picked teams yesterday. Yeah. Eddie's walking around wearing his Kraken hat all day long, right? <laughs> Go Preds. Got up this morning, had Rice Krispies, the whole deal. Yeah. You're walking around, you Go know, Preds. pushing your chest out with your Nashville Predator yep. stuff. Yep. Yeah. After that 4-1 loss last night, yep. That's what I I'm doing. What's that? After the 4-1 loss so last night. So you watched night, last night? I did. Wow, look at you. Man, dedicated. I got home from the Pacers game last night. I was like, what's on TV? I was like, oh. Uh, Nashville Nashville lost a tough one, 5-3 to Tampa Bay. They were leading 3-2. I was watching that in here. It's tough, heartbreaking. Uh, The New York Islanders are going to get me my PBR. Uh, Drew Ogletree going to join us at 12.35 today, and then it's going to be Adam Archuleta coming up at 2.30. This is Eddie's White Whale. Eddie is the (laughs) Seattle Kraken Kraken or Kraken? Kraken? Kraken. Kraken. Seattle Kraken has risen out of the sea as the mysterious sea creature that it is, and it spit up for Eddie the white whale of Adam Archuleta that you have been trying to book on this program now, Eddie, since I came over, right? Yep. 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 Last week. Now, now the interesting thing is, every day that I've come in, you've been like, I'm trying to get Adam Archuleta. I'm trying to get Adam Archuleta. Of course, Adam working the television broadcast this weekend for the game. Then I come in today, and you say, hey, we have Adam Archuleta. I go, okay. And you go, by the way, did you know his wife was a playmate? And I'm like, now I know why you worked so hard for Adam Archuleta. <laughs> totally. I didn't know that till last night, so it's okay. Uh, Jennifer Walcott married her in 2010. Adam Archuleta was a Ram, right? He for a time. Played for a few different teams, I think. Longest stretch with the Rams, yes. Four years. I'm curious to ask him. He was a rookie uh, when I was on my way out. And I'm curious to ask him about the last time that I was in St. Louis. I. So Rams Park, imagine like West 56th Street where the Colts complex is, right? Yeah. So you go by there, there's this, you know, the 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 Union Federal Football Center, I think that's what it is, they still call it. Not well, it wouldn't be Union Federal now. It's Indiana Farmers, right? Indiana Farmers Football Bureau or Football Center, the Colts complex on 56th Street. It's massive. You've got the the outdoor practice fields, you've got the indoor facility, you've got obviously the businesses. It's beautiful beautiful area over there. That's exactly what Rams Park was in St. Louis. You had the practice fields. You had an indoor field. Very similar. They looked very similar. And when the Rams went to Los Angeles, they literally like packed up and left, not unlike the Colts in Baltimore. And it is so weird, man. Like the entire area around Rams Park, which is kind of like a business complex, it would be like if if the Colts complex was like at 71st and Georgetown Road, where like all, you know, or, or even closer towards the pyramids, like where all those business parks are. And everything around where Rams Park was is just gone. It's like Zombieland. And you, you pull up, and there's this, the the parking lot, you, like the faded, you could see the faded paint where it's like head coach, reserved for head coach, reserved for general manager. And then there's this beautiful, massive facility, and it's just, they have like practice soccer fields for kids on the football field, and that's it. There's no the, – the buildings, you could probably go in and there's probably like squatters in there now. It's very bizarre. But I'm curious if he's ever been back because, you know, spent a lot, he spent a lot of time in there, as did I. But Adam Archuleta mostly will talk about the fact, obviously, the Colts and uh, Jacksonville coming up this weekend. He will be on the television call for that. Did you guys watch any baseball last night? Uh, no, I did not. I, I saw did. what happened, but I did not. I did. Which game did you go with? Both. Adam on in here while I was doing the Pacer game. Oh, that's right. Um, little sad about the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, I, and I should be clear to people here. I, I'm not like some diehard Orioles fan. I, I've always just kind of rooted for them, just because I think they're 
their uniforms are cool, and I think it's their story. You know, they have a great fan base. It's kind of a historic franchise, a little bit nostalgic. And you kind of knew they were on the ropes, obviously, going into that, and you knew that the pitching matchups were not in their favor. But they get down 6 nothing. you're like, okay, well, that was fun, right? Yep. The uh, over before it began. The uh, AL East went over. Over in the playoffs. How about that? Rays, Blue Jays, Orioles. All of them, nothing you, to show for. Now, do you take glee in that, or do you? Take I don't know, not really. Like I, I don't have anything against the Orioles, the Rays, and the Blue Jays. Yeah, there's more bitterness there, but I don't have anything against the Orioles. I wanted them to do well. I tried to warn you when we were doing our predictions. I said, "Hey, Baltimore doesn't have the pitching to contain." Well, that they didn't go. Texas they didn't make any moves, offense. obviously, in right. late in the year. Right. right. Uh, Houston, by the way, over Minnesota nine one. So the Astros now on the doorstep as well. Would there be? Here's the thing: if the league championship series. Is a Texas war? Can you imagine if it's the Rangers, Astros, Atlanta, or Philly, either one, and then the Diamondbacks? Ugh. <laughs> I mean, especially if like the Phillies win. I mean, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, the Astros, and the Rangers. Gah. The Diamondbacks become America's team just for a moment? If that happens, the Diamondbacks are. I mean, kind I understand of like, the ratings aren't going to do anything, I, but like, I, I get it. I, the Diamondbacks are kind of like the Marlins, right? And the fact that they've got a World Series, but like they basically blew that team up. It feels like, yeah. and they've had like six different color schemes since then. They play in like an IKEA stadium. That man, you're right. They are the Marlins. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean all of it, right? Don't they even have like? Do they have a pool in the outfield? You can't confirm that one. I don't know. I mean, in that logo, I, just pick one and stick with it. They've done like the the script D that's actually the snake. They've done the like the kind of cool looking A that has like a Native American art to it. I they miss just, the purple unis. Yeah, I mean, the, the, and again though, they jumped on board with the purple teal phase that everybody was doing. Then they switched to that like ugly maroon. Ugh, just, just, and and everyone that lives out there goes to games to see the opposing team of where it is that they're actually from. Like, nobody's from Phoenix, right? Yeah. You go to Diamondbacks games? Well, I do, actually, when uh, the Rockies are in town because I grew up in Denver. Oh, okay. What about you? You got a lot of Diamondbacks? You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. The Pirates were actually here for a three-game set in August. Went to that. It was cool. Okay. Same thing. I mean... I still have great animosity towards the Astros, so if it's Diamondbacks-Houston, I'm pulling for Arizona. Just because of the trash can stuff? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, affect, it affected New York. Like, if it didn't, if it, if I was a Cubs I mean, those fan, poor I wouldn't New care. York Yankees. I understand, but, I, you but, know, but, but I'm trying gosh, to rationalize it. I, mean, I know no one cares. Man, I get it. Yeah, I know. The, they only I have understand. like 26 World 27. Series. They're it's only right. the it's most okay. famous franchise in professional fine. sports. They're worth six billion dollars. The greatest yep. player in American sports history played yep. there. Yep. I mean, I gosh darn it! If they could just get a break, right? I mean, holy cow! 27, by the way, just for the record. Their their assistant to the traveling secretary was on Seinfeld. I mean, if they could just get them a break uh the other news that has happened within the last hour or so many of you may recall and this is a, a tragic story sergio brown who was kind of a special teams ace for the colts and a native of eddie i believe is it chicago is that where his where he, he went missing i believe where has he been apprehended so maywood illinois okay so sergio brown was 
kind of a fan favorite here for a brief period because he was just one of those like Swiss Army Knife special teams guys that made plays. I think he might have gone to the Pro Bowl as a special teamer. And I think most people are familiar with this. But within the last few weeks, he and his mother both were reported missing, notably by Sergio Brown's brother. And so they did, they, they began searching for Sergio Brown and his mother, both of whom were reported missing. And it was not long after that they found his mother deceased under what was believed to be foul play. And Sergio Brown, because he was missing, was certainly somebody that they wanted to bring in for questioning. And he then began posting was it Instagram or on some form of social media, he began posting videos from what people were determining looked like Mexico. And he was really kind of incoherent and talking about how the whole thing was a lie and his mother wasn't really missing and nothing really happened to her. His brother then had sent out publicly a few statements of concern about not only that Sergio Brown had been involved with the mother's uh, passing, but also, you know, just that he was having a mental crisis, essentially. Um, He was apprehended today, correct, Eddie? Yes. A couple different outlets have had it now, but Sergio Brown was taken into custody uh, in connection to the September death of his mother. Does it say where he was taken into custody? No. Because I don't know if that would mean that they got Mexican officials or if he had come back and was spotted here in the United States. But a very sad story, but um, one that I know a lot of people were aware of here just because of his connection to the Colts. So Sergio Brown uh, in custody, and we shall see what comes of that. He was deported on Tuesday, taken into custody by U.S. law enforcement near San Diego. So it was in Mexico that he was found? Yep. Okay. I I can only imagine. I I don't know, obviously. Um but it would it would seem as though there would be, you know, just how that works, I don't know, in terms of the officials of one country to the officials of the next and the apprehension and the, the handing back over. I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Yeah, it's um, usually – I mean, I don't want to say usually, but often you hear about it being a complicated process, extradition. Right. But it doesn't appear that was the case here. Um, what about the Jaguars jumps out at you, Jimmy, in terms of – you know, do do you lose a little bit of oomph in terms of your enthusiasm, be, knowing even though that we knew Anthony Richardson was going to be out, does it change the direction or the sails, the wind in the sails for you in terms of the cold season, or are you still equally, maybe even more so, invigorated by the intrigue of what they can do with Gardner Minshew? Minshew is a solid quarterback, and he's shown that he can for stretches stabilize things and keep things afloat. And I know this is a weird time for Colts fans where you're like, well, what's our in-between scenario here? We're playing for the AFC South, but like, I didn't think we're supposed to be that good this year, but here's an opportunity to maybe win the division if we keep this up. And Jake, you highlighted the schedule. I mean, this is not a scenario where you're bringing in a middling, like just inexperienced quarterback, like the Cowboys had to do a couple years ago when they were playing Ben DiNucci out there. Like this is a, proven NFL commodity not to like high elite level but to the point that you know what you're getting in Gardner Minshew but in terms of what jumps out at me with the Jaguars I feel like there is this thought that because of how dysfunctional the AFC South is and because of how dysfunctional the Jaguars have been at times throughout their history that 
are they really going to be able to have the type of long-term success the Colts had, the Titans enjoyed briefly for a four or five year window, or are they never going to be able to obtain that? And I feel like we're still at a point this season where everything that Jacksonville Colts don't want to hear this. I understand, but everything Jacksonville wants to achieve this year in terms of being a true contender, winning the South, it's all still in front of them. And when you look at the matchup on paper, even though Richardson and Minshew do things differently, there should still be optimism for Colts fans, even with Minshew out there, they could get it done on Sunday. Yeah. Minshew, again, I think in terms of a backup quarterback in the National Football League and a guy that if your guy goes down, that is probably as good at anyone as, you know, the drop-off right now is not massive from Richardson to Minshew for right now. Obviously, with Minshew, you kind of know what the ceiling is. With Richardson, you just don't know, and that's what is so fascinating about him, right? Yes. And so, you know, you want to continue to develop so that you can see exactly what he is and and where he can go. You You feel like you have a pretty good idea of his trajectory, but you don't know for certain because it – Quarterback, more than any other position, I think, involves the largest necessary body of work to be able to then make a definitive conclusion about where they are. Yes. Now, when we talk to Drew Ogletree, one of the things that I'm curious about, and I know what he's going to say, so I hope the way that I'm asking it is clear, and that is, I think Gardner Minshew is a fine player. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I think anybody would would tell you league-wide, he's probably one of the best backups in the league. But what is the different preparation from a tight end standpoint from one quarterback to the other? And I don't mean, you know, obviously it's going to be, well, I've just got a job to do that. No, no, no. I just mean, do they... Do they read things differently? Do they? Do you run different sets? How different is the offense? How different is the playbook? How different is the cadence? All of it, right? Yeah. It's got to be different. I mean, Jimmy, I'm going to be gone next weekend, next Thursday and Friday, right? And that means that you'll be doing the show, and I think Brian's in, right? Yep. Okay, so the reality is you are doing a radio show for three hours like you have done every day for a year, right? Right. But when somebody different is sitting here, the cadence, the timing, the understanding of when that person's done talking so that you don't step over them. That's the hardest thing in learning a two-person show. The hardest thing is understanding the the cadence of the other person and just being able to complete one another's sentence and 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 the timing of it all because nothing sounds worse than when we're both talking at the same time. Correct. And Jake is exactly right on that aspect behind the curtain of radio. Now thankfully and this will be the same for Drew. He's worked with Minshew before. I've worked with Brian before. Correct. So I have a bit of rapport there. But if you're a Colts fan that doubts that, that shakes your head at the idea of, oh, there, there's no real difference, just another quarterback under center. If it's as true for a simple radio program, and maybe not so simple. I mean, it's the company after all. But if That's it's right. as true for our radio program, you can bet anything that it's true for an NFL tight end with an NFL quarterback. Speaking of the company, perhaps we buried the lead. But last night, Zaire Franklin had his foundation. Um, he, he Zaire Franklin runs a foundation, started a foundation to help out. It is named for his mother, I believe it is, in, in honor of his mother. And the foundation, Shalisa's Angels, 
helps out and assists children throughout Philadelphia in the area where he grew up. Um, so he grew up in Philadelphia, went to Syracuse, uh, has a, a degree in finance, was a captain. You know, you know his story, right? And and at this point is on pace to be a pro, an all pro level linebacker in the NFL. So Zaire Franklin with his foundation last night did a fundraiser at Hoagies and Hops, which is the restaurant uh, run by Christina, who's from Philadelphia. So it's a Philly steak and cheese restaurant. We've talked about it on the show before at 42nd and Boulevard. He did a fundraiser there last night where he was signing autographs. You could come up, get a picture, et cetera, and went by there and, you know, went up and said hi and thanked him for coming on the show. And he was signing autographs for people. And so he said, here, let me let me give you an autograph. Said, okay, which is not really what you do when you're a credentialed media member, sure. but it's a little bit of a unique situation. So he signs the autograph. And I immediately sent it to you guys. I think, do we have a, a show Twitter page? Because as soon as we get a show Twitter page, it has to be like the background photo, right? Agree. Not the profile photo, but the background photo. He says, Zaire Franklin, number 44. And then underneath it, he writes, I'm in the company. It's a beautiful thing. Hell yeah. So his he is, he is the director of midfield enforcement. Actually, all field enforcement, right? Yeah. So Zaire Franklin in the company. Is that the position EJ Speed gave him? Because I remember EJ gave him a position when we had EJ Speed on. Oh, that's right. Um, EJ might have just made him the director of steak and cheese sandwiches, right? I think he grouped him in with the director of Speed. He wanted Zaire with him. Director of Power, I think, or something Maybe like that. Something like that, that might be right. Yeah, I'd have to go back. So and look. one's director of Power and one's director of Speed. Well, if he's if Zaire Franklin's director of Power, we got to get him over here on the elevators in the parking garage. Because they're not working. There's no power on them, and I had to walk. It's killing me. Drew Ogletree is a tight end out of Youngstown State. Off to a good start. He joins us next. Speaking of Vanderbilt, is that why you're playing this, Eddie? You bet. Or Tuskegee. Do you know the connection to Tuskegee? No. This is the Commodores who met at Tuskegee University. Lionel Richie was the lead singer of the Commodores, by the way. Um... Drew Ogletree set to join us here coming up in just a couple of minutes. The big story today, Anthony Richardson has been placed on IR for the Colts. That means four games out. Jimmy Cook, if you could, uh, if you have it before you, and I apologize for putting you on the spot there, the next four games for the Colts because we know that on the back end of that is the trip to Germany and then um, obviously the bye week factors in as well. So this could be four, it could be like buy four, get one free, so to speak, in terms of or Buy four, get two if you decide not to do the Germany deal. Um, But the four games that Anthony Richardson, and we knew he was going to miss some time, the four games definitively now that he will be out and Gardner Minshew will be your primary quarterback, assuming he's healthy, those four games would be? On the road in Jacksonville, at home against the Browns, at home against the Saints, on the road for the Frank Reich revenge game against Carolina. Okay. And then after that? I. Trip to Germany, take on the Patriots, then the bye week, and then host the Buccaneers on the 26th. So that's the, you know, I think the Cleveland is kind of the wild card in all of this because, and this might actually be for that particular game, and and I'm grasping at silver linings here, but if you're going up against Cleveland, 
you may be better served with Gardner Minshew as your quarterback in that situation than Richardson. And I mean, if you're in terms of just trying to get that win, Anthony Richardson needs as many looks and as much experience as he can possibly get. We know that. Yeah. But if you're simply going by your your record for this year, your wins for this year, and trying to tabulate wins, trying to stay within the division or the wild card or whatever way you want to look at it, you know, Cleveland defensively is pretty nasty. And I think they can give some different looks. And Minshew probably, as a veteran, would be more suited immediately to be able to, to kind of deal with that, navigate through it, see some reads. There's not a whole lot Cleveland's going to be able to do that Minshew probably hadn't seen before at some point as a pro. So in that regard, maybe that one helps you. But you just go back to, for a young quarterback, a big athletic quarterback who looks so far the thing about Anthony Richardson to me that has been so impressive Jimmy is that Anthony Richardson looks like the one guy that is unaware that Anthony Richardson is a rookie I I think I told you I've had this recurring dream about every six weeks I have this dream and in this dream there's an open invite tryout for the Indiana Pacers and I go to it. And I, it's not like 19-year-old me. It's like me right now, right? And I go to it, and they have like pickup games and whatever else, and <laughs> I keep getting the ball rotated to me for like 12-foot jumpers on the wing where I'm uncontested, and I'm shooting the ball well. And each round of cuts, I'm like, oh my gosh, like they haven't cut me yet because they haven't even noticed me. I'm just kind of blending in, Right. I'm like Aaron Neesmith. I'm just kind of out there, and when the ball comes my way, I do the right thing in this dream. And I end up making the roster. And I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe I'm on an NBA roster. Like, my I'm financially set. This is unbelievable. This is this is like somebody pinched me. And then I wake up. Anthony Richardson kind of feels like that so far in his NFL start, where it's like he's the one guy that things each time it comes his way, he just does the right thing. And it's like, gosh, like here I am. I'm in the NFL. Like, okay, it's like, but but in my dream, I'm aware that I don't belong. In his dream, it's like, or in, in, in his reality, like he doesn't even think about it. He just looks comfortable, and that's unusual for a quarterback. But part of that probably, Jimmy, is the fact that his athleticism allows him to get out of situations yes. before the house is burning down, right? Correct. And that's an aspect of Minshew that it's not as prevalent, so you get, I guess, a little bit worried that that mobility you're going to miss at times, depending on who's on the other side of the ball defensively. Uh, Joining us now, by the way, on the hotline, he is in the middle of a season where he has seven catches for 95 yards and a touchdown, has become a reliable target, uh, in particular in that Rams game for Anthony Richardson. And in a busy and crowded tight end room, Drew Ogletree continues to play well when his number is called. He joins us on the program. He's in the company, if you will, Jimmy. Uh, First off, Drew, I've been wanting to ask you this one for a while. You prefer to be known as Andrew or Drew? Uh, Drew. I think the last person to call me Andrew was my grandma, and that was about a couple years ago. So that's the the only one. You know what? So my name, I go by Jake, right? And my Mm -hmm. birth name is different. And anytime I hear it, I know that I'm either in court, in trouble, or in front of my grandmother or great aunt. And since they both have passed, I'm like, you know what? 
I don't want anybody calling me that almost as a tribute to them. So that's why I ask, to be honest with you, because I respect that. So, oh, no, most I appreciate that. Thank you. Wanted to make sure. Okay, let's begin with this. Um, we talked at the beginning of the year about the fact that this is a crowded tight end room. You guys got some talent, you've got some depth, and it seems as though almost interchangeability. I know you guys get along, but at the same time, there has to be that competitive nature. Has it been tough to know that your number may not be getting called every single time, but you have to be able to, to go when it is? And how much has that kind of helped you to stay focused? I mean, for me, um, I don't think it's too hard to stay focused. You know, for me, it's just I've had a long journey in, in my career. So patience is one of my one is very key to me, you know, so and I know we have guys in the room. We have great athletes, great football players in the room. So, you know, you got to be ready whenever your number's called. Drew, in that same vein, you the NFL player, not you the Colt, but you the NFL player, when you you know went through the process of fighting for this dream and, and getting the opportunity to play in the NFL, do you want to one day be viewed in the same light as some of the top tight ends right now, like George Kittle, like Travis Kelsey, like Mark Andrews? Oh, of course. I mean, who doesn't? You know, you work every day, you strive for that, and um, I believe one day I will I will hear my name up in in there in those regards. But um, until that day, I just got to keep my head down and keep working. Drew, I want to go back a little bit. Well, first off, do you like cold weather? Oh, I'm from Ohio, so you know I'm used to the cold weather. I mean, here's the thing: so collegiately, you were a penguin, and before that, in high school, you were a polar bear. So, like, you've got. <laughs> I mean, there's no choice here, right? Oh, no choice at all. Yeah, you'll never see me with uh, sleeves out there during the game. <laughs> I was going to say, you're used to this all the way around. Um, for, I want to go back even before the Colts, and, and I want to give you the chance to kind of speak to, you know, even though right now most kids are probably in school, but if they're listening to this on a podcast form, you start out and you go to Finley, you're at a smaller school, you transfer for your last year to Youngstown State, which is obviously not Ohio State. I mean, a proud football school, but not a big school, right? And then you find yourself in the NFL. Were you almost – how much of having to kind of fight for the respect of getting noticed at smaller schools contributed to where you are? Would you be in the NFL if you just would have immediately gotten a chance at a Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State? You know, honestly, um, i got to say no because – that work ethic coming from Division Two to FCS and then to here is kind of like put a chip on my shoulder. I get overlooked, and I feel like, shoot, I was one of the best to come out. And I'm like, well, why why aren't people talking about me? But I know that I got to just, like I said, keep my head down, keep working. And when my time is here, I mean, people, people is going to remember my name. <laughs> when you now find yourself with the Colts, and we now know, Drew Ogletree, that you know, Gardner Minshew is going to be your quarterback for the next four games, right? Y- your job is to be ready no matter who's in the huddle. I get that. Mm-hmm. And I think Gardner Minshew is a fine player I, you know, and seems like a really good dude. But f- from a schematic standpoint, just in terms of the scheme, maybe the cadence of, of you know, calling out, play, whatever it might be. H- how are they different, Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew? H- how, how do you have to alter your approach? Because there has to be something that's different. Not in a bad way, but what is the difference between the two? Um, I think you can kind of just tell uh, how long Gardner's been doing this for. You know, he comes into the huddle. He's very vocal. He knows he's t- he's – very talkative in the huddle, you know, letting guys know what to be alert for and everything like that. So I think that just comes with experience and him having years under his belt. But, you know, he trains 
every single day like he's a starter, even though, you know, he t- he says it's Anthony's team, which it is, but he also trains like he's going to start every single week. So I love to see that work ethic out of him. Can you – I think you know Drew Ogletree – at least the outside observation, and I think you guys have to know it, that a lot of this year is about the development of Anthony Richardson, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he's clearly very gifted and was drafted very high and the keys have been handed over to him. And now he, you know, suffers injury again and goes on IR for four games. You missed, of course, your rookie year going on IR when having a knee injury in training camp. Can you give him advice on the mental aspect and how challenging is the mental aspect of being able to see the light in the distance knowing that you are shelved at no fault of yours because your body's not cooperating yeah no it's definitely it's a long dark road but um you can't think about anything negative. Everything has to be positive. You got to come in with a smile on on your face just like he is now and you know you just got to grind knowing that when you do get back out there, your teammates are going to rally around you. And even when you aren't out there, like we're still going to rally around you. You're, you're still one of the guys. You're still one of us. And you're still our quarterback. It's still your team. So, you know, at the end of the day, just stay positive And then you're going to get it rolling because, I mean, I said this before. I think he has the keys to and the talent to be one of the best in the league. Coltstein and Drew Ogletree, nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. Drew, Jake already mentioned you losing your rookie season to injury, but I imagine at least through your rehab and through that process, you spent a lot of time on the mental side of the NFL and kind of getting a year where even though you couldn't play, you were still experiencing what NFL lifestyle and NFL training and the process of getting ready for games was like. How much on the mental side did that help you for kind of a de facto rookie season this year? Oh, it helped me so much. You know, I kind of treated last year as um, like a redshirt year, like I was back in college. So just trying to learn how to be a pro, how to practice like a pro, train like a pro, and then also study, study film like a pro, you know, just learning how to be a pro. And, man, I'm so great. Of course, I didn't want my rookie year to be like that, but I'm so grateful to be in the organization I am and being able to see and watch people um, through last year so I can learn from them. Now I'm fascinated fascinated Drew by mascots, right? Like if I if I was a guy that that tried out for different NFL teams, I, I would literally be there just to get the gear, right? Like I want to keep the sweatshirts and the hats and everything else. Do, do you have more polar bear or penguin stuff? Uh, I got more penguin stuff just because you know I kind of outgrew my uh, polar bear things. Back in the day, I was about 195 pounds, so we up about 70 pounds from there. So it just doesn't fit anymore. What position did you play in high school? I played wide receiver and then free safety. Because we had – okay, let me ask you this question, Drew Ogletree. We were discussing this yesterday. You would be a great person to ask. Mm-hmm. If you were to to take a tally of everybody on, on your Colts roster, all the way across the board, linemen, set, you know, offense, defense, everything, and they were to list the, primer, the, the positions they played in high school, what do you think is the position that the highest number of players played early in their football years, regardless of what position they play professionally? Uh, running back. Yeah. I, I think I, a, lot, a lot of guys play running back or um, linebacker. What about quarterback? I was I was saying maybe quarterback because that's what, like, at a, at a young age, that's what's a, the best athlete naturally gets tried out at quarterback. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's a good, that would be a great answer, honestly, because I, I, funny, I was backup quarterback in high school, so... And then Jelani, I'm trying to think. Jelani Woods was a, was a quarterback in high school, right? 
Oh, yeah, he was one of the top in the, in the nation, I thought. Right, because we were talking about who the emergency quarterback would be. Um, when it comes to, like, just for example right there, that shows kind of the versatility that is in the tight end room. Do you guys each see between yourself, Moali Cox, you know, Will Mallory, who's a young player, you, you know, Granson. I mean, there's there's a lot of tight ends there. Do you guys kind of each know what separates you from the others and what your role is? Or is it by design everybody has the exact same specification of role? I mean, we know that we're a little different. You know, Kylan is more speed guy, smaller, so is Will. And then, you know, me, Lonnie, and Mo, we're the bigger guys and can go out there and run. And, like, we know our roles and we try to play to them. And then, you know, it's just – I feel like in our group, we have such a competitive room. We just make each other better every day. Like, if I see Kylan do something, I know I want to do it better, and vice versa. What's the most misunderstood thing about your team? Like, and I know that, Drew, every every player says, I don't read the papers, I don't read, you know, Twitter, I don't listen to the radio. I get all that. But what's the one thing that you think is the perception about this year's Colts that you're like, yeah, I don't think that's accurate at all? Um... I think I read a couple of things early in the season, preseason, and they were like, oh, this team be a three-win team, and oh, they won't do good. They'll be a top-10 pick in the draft. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's, that's so crazy because I feel like we have a team that can do great things over here and can make a, <laughs> make a great run. Where is your area of depth? What is your greatest on the roster aside from tight end? We're going to take that out of the equation. What what area is the one where you go? This is where we are really good. There are a lot of we got a lot of players in that area. I mean, you look at linebacker. I think we have the top three linebackers in the league. Like as a collective group, they're they're so dangerous, man. How much do you? I've always wondered this as well. How much do you talk to your teammates on defense about? In other words. Like when you're lining up and you, you've got a block on, you know, whether it be a run play or a flare play, whatever it might be, and then afterwards, whether it be DeForest Buckner or whether it be Zaire Franklin or whoever, how often do you sit down with them and go, okay, what did you see that I tipped my hand where you knew what we were doing? What did I do wrong? What formations were you able to take advantage of? Like how much can you learn from those guys and how much do you guys talk to one another in preparation for when you go out and you're going up against somebody else? I mean, there's a lot you can learn from the other side of the ball, you know, and they come they come to me and ask the same questions, and I think it's very important, especially uh, as, a team, as a team, because that's how you get better individually, and then you get better individually, you better as a team. But I try to try to ask the linebackers, what am I doing in cut? Like, what am I doing in my routes that's tipping it off and other things like that. But, man, I'm so grateful for the team that I have here and my teammates. Like, without them, I don't think I'd be the player I am now. Drew Ogletree, Colts tight end, with us on Query and Company. Drew, with how well Zach Moss has played over the last couple of weeks and the impending, well, already return, I guess, but the impending workload ramp up of Jonathan Taylor, what does his addition combined with Zach Moss do for your offense as a whole? Oh, man, it's, it's dang, scary dangerous because, I mean, everyone knows what JT is capable of. And, shoot, I've been saying this since last year. I thought Zach Moss was a real deal. It kind of takes two or three guys just to bring him down. Um Man, it's it's they're an explosive duo. That's all I got to say about that one. <laughs> Drew, let's say Jim Irsay comes in the locker room tomorrow. He's like, "Hey guys, we're not going to sing today, but here's the deal." And he tells you that you guys are all actually going to drive to Jacksonville. 
And you're going to drive to Jacksonville in like custom vans where you got to go four to a van and drive down there. You got to pick three teammates to drive down with that you think would be the most fun, the least dirty, you know, the best, the best guys in conversation, and you can't pick tight ends. What three oh, guys are you rolling with? Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm gonna take Grove for sure. Yeah, he'd, and he'd also make you some good food on the way down, right? Oh yeah, most definitely Grove, and then um, Tyquan Lewis. Put him on the uh, on the ox, and then. Let's see who else do I want. Give me Pitt. You know, Pitt's a funny guy. Okay, so so Michael Pittman, Tyquan Lewis, Grover Stewart. Better be a big van, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so Tyquan Lewis is bringing what to the table? Obviously, Grover Stewart can cook and seems like a fun personality. Pittman, as you said, is a funny guy. What is it about Tyquan Lewis that, that you like? Oh, yeah, I throw him on the ox. You know, he's, he's got a great music playlist, man. Okay. All right, fair enough. And, and <laughs> lastly, then, Drew, would be this. You have a great game. You catch two touchdown passes. As you know, Jim Mercer is a music guy. So mm-hmm. he says to you, Drew, man, like you were balling out there. And so he's going to get any musical act of your choice to play at your birthday party. Who do you pick? Any musical act? Any. Jim Mercer's got the pole, man. He can get somebody, right? I mean. Mm, let's see. I mean, me personally, I got to go Rod Wave. But I'd also take J. Cole for sure. All right. There we go. And then and then make sure that those are on the playlist for the drive down, right? Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, Drew, it's been a pleasure. The name of this show, by the way, is Querying Company. So with your permission, we're going to go ahead and just make you as a member of the company. Um, and, and here's the thing. You are, you are we're going to name you, you are the director of cold climate animal control since you I were like both it. a polar bear and a penguin. Is that cool? I like it. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Drew, appreciate it. Good luck down in Jacksonville, all right? Thank you, sir. All right. Drew Ogletree tied in for the Indianapolis Colts, officially in the company. I love the fact that they were the Polar Bears, his high school. It's a great name. And you were a rebel, but no longer a rebel, right? Correct. Royals now. Jimmy, you were a hawk, is that right? No, Jimmy was a rebel. Or, or I mean, Eddie, you were a hawk, right? Yes. How boring is that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're a Hawks. panther. Panthers are badass. Are you kidding me? I'd rather have a panther. I've never understood this. So Panthers, if I'm not mistaken, Panthers are leopards, but are all black, and Jaguars are. So are all Panthers leopards, but not all leopards are Panthers, or are all Panthers Jaguars, but not all Jaguars are Panthers? Is a Panther an all black Jaguar, or is it which is it? Are these the things that keep you up at night? Yes. Okay. All the you don't know this? Yeah. This is why, Eddie, don't you think there's a reason I'm doing this show with you and no longer in the morning? (laughs) Do you think if your school's the polar bears, you just say, let's go bears? Or do they go, let's go polar bears? Like, how does that work? The rhythm there. Surely they, in the concession stands, they do not serve Pepsi, right? I mean, we know that for a fact at the polar bear games, right? I would say, yeah, you gotta, gotta go Coke. Unquestionable. Yes. Iconic logo, iconic High school mascot. I've always thought this. If every animal on the planet, if all of a sudden the planet was just, if all the animals on the planet were left to their own device, (laughs) it comes down to one of two animals, right? What are the two animals left? The last two animals left on planet Earth. I mean, I would put a lion in there, yeah. A lion's probably in the last five. Okay. Are you putting polar bear top two? I think polar bear's in the top two. It might be number one. Okay. 
But I think there's one other one that's extremely underrated in its ferocity and its danger. Like people don't realize the 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 combo of like holy cow, just devastating, and people don't realize it. And like oh, a honey badger. Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> honey badger, as we know, man, he doesn't play, right? No, he does not. Honey badger doesn't play. But no, there is—I got news for you, though. There is actually one animal that would treat a honey badger like a honey teddy graham. I'll tell you what it is next. And Adam Archuleta joins us in the two o'clock hour. More on the Colts and Anthony Richardson. If you haven't heard the latest news, we'll get you caught up on that too next. Hungry Hippos is the name of the game. And that is Who's not what you want to run into. The most marbles wins. Hungry, hungry, hippos. Hungry, hungry. Hippopotamus, man. <laughs> I mean, that was nothing but like a cheesy board game when I was a kid, but a hungry hippo. Those things, my, my buddy Brady Barr, who worked for National Geographic, told me once. I go, Brady, what's the most dangerous animal out there? He's like, oh, man, hippos. He's like, those things weigh 3,000 pounds, got a bad attitude, and can run like the wind. They can run like 30 miles an hour. And, like, the ferocity of their jaws, you do not want to mess with a hippo. I, I, I'm not certain a hippo wouldn't win. Every animal's out there. You got to – they would fight a polar bear kind of like a sumo wrestler, just, like, charge at him and, like, try to knock him over. But I'm telling you, man, polar bear tries to chase him. Hippo runs away. Rough. Would not be pretty. Somebody else recommended or, or answered, and this is too uh, true too, Gino says a Komodo dragon, also pretty pretty tough. There are some snakes that would be shifty, right? Like yes. the most venomous of snakes would be tough. Uh, Anthony Richardson, we now know, is on IR. The Colts uh, earlier today announcing that they have signed uh, some offensive line depth and placed Anthony Richardson on IR. That, of course, puts Richardson out for a minimum of four games. And for the Colts fans, I'm sorry, I got I, you brought me into a, a hippo hole, effectively. <laughs> a hippo hole. Yes. That's yep. the last place yep. you want to be. I know. It's the but last place you want to be. With what they eat, you do not want to be I, in the hippo hole. You never know what you're going to run into in there. Can you imagine what you'll find? <laughs> right? <or> smell. <laughs> I mean, think about what you'll run into, right? I thought I read something. Could run into Jerry it, Jones. It, it says knows? they are among the most dangerous <laughs> animals in the world due to yes. their aggressive and unpredictable nature. Totally. But then I thought I read something in this again hippo hole that I've fallen down mm-hmm. that they are they prefer uh, they're herbivores. Okay. Sometimes they say that they're not dangerous, but like in terms of like the food chain, why why is a hippo going to go eat a jaguar? Because he's got to defend himself. It, it, it comes down to this: a hippo. Okay, hippo and a jag. A hippo's an herbivore, right? Sure. You, you ever been next to a fat guy in a salad bar? <laughs> Get the hell out of the way, right? <laughs> So sure. they come down to it. There's one plant left. The jaguar's thinking to himself, like, that looks like a pretty good cactus I haven't eaten in weeks. And the hippo's like, out of the way, brother. <laughs> the jaguar then gets frisky, right? Decides to pull a weapon because he wants the cactus. And the hippo's like, dude, you're kidding me, right? I weigh 3,000 pounds. I've got teeth the size of your left leg. I've got the literally the the like a 5,000 cubic square foot pressure jaw clamp and my skin is the thickness of like half a layer of the earth. Good luck. A 2015 study by the Mammal Review shows that hippos occasionally 
feed on animal carcasses a more omnivorous behavior. Yes. So See? there is a little bit of a cross. Out of necessity, that. right? There you go. All I right. mean, think about this. Like, how often do you eat a salad? Only when there's no meat around, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's going to eat meat when there's no salad available. Jaguar gets in the way of the salad bar. Get the hell out of the way. I'm taking the pudding with me, right? right? Fair enough. You don't mess with a hippo, I'm telling you. Especially, like, in, and you want to talk about getting near their young? Forget about it, right? All the jaguar has to do is stand. If the jaguar's closing in on a bush plant because he, he wants some of the, the vegetation, and the jaguar's looking for meat, right? Yes. Jaguar sees a baby hippo, and he's got a choice between a ham sandwich or a salad. He's going with a ham sandwich, right? Probably until the until the hippo sees that suddenly its offspring is now being seen as a ham sandwich. Good night, jaguar. Yeah, Game and over. I love jaguars. Game over. I like panthers. Panthers are the best. And, and now the last thing here before we move on from our zoological performance, um, you, you said a j- jaguars and leopards are all panthers. No, this, this thoroughly confuses <laughs> no. me. No, a, okay. a, a jaguar is its own branch. Okay. Of the large cat species. Okay, so you got jaguars are their own guy, right? As are leopards. Okay, leopards are their own guy. Are they cousins? Well, uh, they're all, yes. It's in some mark, yes. So the they're jaguar, all from the same. So the jaguar and leopards are cousins, but not siblings, right? Correct. Okay, then where does the panther fall into this? A panther is a variant of the leopard and the jaguar. What the hell does that mean? How can you be a variant of both if they're not related? Well, I think they're all a variant all, in what way? just reading the i'm just reading the knowledge man i don't know so what's the difference between a panther and a leopard one's he's a variant what does that mean he just has all black fur a a leopard is a specific species of the branch of of, if i'm saying this right panthera okay of, of, of one of five species off of this branch okay as is a jaguar okay but a panther is just labeled as it's a black panther specifically is just a variant of a leopard or a jaguar. So I would assume it's like it's like when you have if you're doing one of those uh, genome charts, like mm-hmm. it's like uh, somebody has blue eyes, somebody has brown eyes. That's what I'm gathering out of that. It's just a variant of jaguars and leopards. I don't. I don't. So they're both panthers. <laughs> no. I'm very confused by this. We're going to have to call the zoo. You know, we should, That's how I'm going to end up doing. Hey, listen, I'm host you know a sports what? talk show. We're going to take a road trip on Thursday to Jacksonville, right? Yes. Because the Colts are taking on the Jaguars. Yes. We will ask whoever we have on from Jacksonville if they know the, different, the difference between a Jaguar and a Panther. Eddie, you chimed in? I was about to say, we got your guy on tomorrow. Okay, so tomorrow we'll get a road trip. Mike Dempsey, who's at uh, 1010XL down in Jacksonville, he does the Talk of the Jags radio show. And we'll ask him the difference between a Jaguar and a Panther. The difference might be that one has an established quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, and the other one has a quarterback that Frank Reich apparently is not sold on and feels like the owner threw on him. And then I think we also have a night on tomorrow as well. We could throw a wrench into all this. Yes, I think Ted Karras is back for his final stop of the year Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Ted Karras, the father of a Bengal, right? Yes. Now, what does that take them? Are Bengals, what are they in this family? They're Tigers. They're the Bengals. Bengals or tigers? Well, are the, they not part of the Panthera family? The, the the Panthera family includes tigers, lions, Good jaguars, Lord. and leopards. Then you split down. You have your jaguars, you have your leopards, and then a subset is Black Panther. <laughs> okay. Does that make That's, sense? So, no, so Black Panther no don't... Okay. I'm thoroughly confused. Right. Look at the chart. We're going to have to create a diagram on the board for him, Jimmy. Look at, look at the subset. You have your... Yeah, I don't know. Right. Oh, wait, no, Cougar. Now, that does catch my eye. Well, click on, click on that yeah, and see yeah, what yeah, happens. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? Oh, yeah. I'm just yeah, saying. I understand. Be careful. We are at work. Um, 
Florida Panthers, a population of Cougars. A Florida Panthers, by the way, Brendan King, diehard fan for almost six weeks now. Um, Come on now. Now, Trevor Lawrence with the Jaguars, to me, is really interesting. And, and we'll talk more about this with Mike tomorrow, but I want to get your thought on this, Jimmy. I, I've i made no bones about the fact that I have – I just think the world of Trevor Lawrence. He's big. He's athletic. He can run. I mean, I don't know that people remember how much he can run, but when he was in college, and college is not the, the pros, I get it. But when he was in college, there were designed run plays for him, including one where Ohio State fans remember it. I mean, a quarterback draw where he outran the entire Ohio State secondary. I mean, you know, he's got wheels. But he also just has, as he showed here in week one, when needed, he has an unbelievable touch. But the, and, and I really did think and I'm not saying this as a bias because I am admittedly a Clemson fan, but I watched every game that he played in college. He took over midway through his freshman year for Kelly Bryant, who was the incumbent. And, you know, think about this. You have a guy, Kelly Bryant was a quarterback at Clemson. I know nobody cares about Clemson, but follow me here because it does tie into the Colts' opponent. Kelly Bryant was a guy at Clemson that sat behind Deshaun Watson was had played well in spot minutes in blowouts, takes over after Watson, leads Clemson into the college football playoff where they got beat by Alabama. But Kelly Bryant was the starter that took them to the football playoff as a junior. His senior year, he comes back, plays pretty well, and I think they were 5-6-0. or six and oh. Trevor Lawrence was a true freshman. And Dabo Sweeney comes out and says, we are handing the reins over to Trevor Lawrence. And Kelly Bryant's like, wait, what? My junior year, we lost one game. And it was they might have lost one in the right. They lost, I take that back. They lost once at Syracuse and then once in the college football playoff to Alabama in the semifinals. That was it, two losses. And then he had, so he was like 13 and, or well, no, like 17 and two as a starter. And they pull him for a true freshman in Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence takes over. I don't think Clemson had a game where they scored fewer than like 25 points. They go to the national championship game and they blow Alabama off the field. He comes back the next year as a sophomore um, and they get into the national championship game and get blown out by LSU. And then in his last year, which I think might the, one of those was the COVID year and they got beat by Ohio State in the semis. But the point being, he showed and exhibited an incredible passing touch. Now, the thing that was a challenge, and this is something that I think you have to look at with Anthony Richardson, and what is a benefit to Anthony Richardson. When Trevor Lawrence was in college, he's throwing to T. Higgins. And he's throwing to, I can't remember if Mike Williams was there for a year or not. Amari Rogers, who's on the Colts roster now. You know, he's throwing to guys... Hunter Renfro. Renfro actually might have been gone. But he's throwing to guys that are playing on Sunday that are always two steps away from defense, that had incredible separation, and he didn't have to throw into tight windows. But when he did, he had an unbelievable touch. And I thought to myself, because of the fact he's 6'6 and can run, I thought this guy is 
the the next coming of Peyton Manning. He is going to get into the league, and whoever drafts him, he's going to be there eighteen years. Well, not eighteen, but he's going to be there, you know, twelve years, and be a dominant player that's going to win a Super Bowl, if not more, and own his division. And he goes to Jacksonville. And I was talking to a writer from Columbus during the Indy 500 and said, hey, you know, Trevor Lawrence is, he just got drafted by the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. And the Columbus writer goes, man, I know Urban well. And I'm telling you, Trevor Lawrence is the reason he went back. He wanted to coach Jacksonville because of Trevor Lawrence. Well, what turned out to be the biggest clown show from an egomaniac coach that was trying to coach a college program and be away from his team and just kind of overall be a jerk and be smug. Uh, other people's reports, not mine. I'm just parroting what, you know, you can kind of see it though. And Lawrence, the true testament to how good he is, is the fact that he was able to overcome all of that. And But the biggest challenge, I think, for him on the field, Jimmy, was the fact that Lawrence had to learn the tight windows of the NFL versus the college game. And for Anthony Richardson, who I know we're not going to see on Sunday, but for Anthony Richardson, the benefit he had coming out of Florida, Jimmy, is he did not have great receivers. He wasn't throwing to T. Higgins. You know, he wasn't throwing to Amari Rogers and guys that were, you know, he wasn't handing off to Travis Etienne and throwing it out of the backfield to Travis Etienne. And so as a result of that, Richardson, I think the learning curve coming into the pros is is shorter it was a steeper learning curve to an extent guys that come out of the blue blood programs it's almost a steeper learning curve because the systems they're running are similar but the pieces that they're playing with they're no longer playing with chess pieces now all of a sudden they're back to playing with with like yeah. the checkers you know what i mean and so there is a and with lawrence i think he is still figuring that out so there are games where he looks pretty pedestrian and for the colts their job is to come up with looks that still fool him a little bit into into making the wrong throw or the wrong decision. But those opportunities seem to be coming fewer and farther between. He is on the type of trajectory in terms of development that is natural for any quarterback coming out of college, minus the – I'm with you, Jake, and a lot of people were nationally as well. It seemed like with how dominant he was at Clemson – that he was he was that was a label that I heard nationally as well second coming potentially of Peyton Manning going to be a surefire number one overall pick and will definitely win a Lombardi trophy at least one before it's all said and done and you documented what happened during his first year and I agree with you it's very admirable that he's been able to and speaks to his dominance that he's been able to not let that shake what could have been a backbreaker for a lot of young quarterbacks and to this point in your number three he's top 16 currently in the league in QBR. He's top 10 in a number of different categories. His completion percentage has been off the charts outside of a game against Kansas City. They lost a close one too. And he dominated four stretches last weekend. Granted, I know that Buffalo was on the one-week stop in London and Jacksonville had already been there two weeks, but he looked very poised against a contending team in Buffalo and they wind up winning a tough, gritty ball game. To this point, when you look at where Jacksonville is, despite the fact that the Colts are breathing down their neck a little bit as they're both there fighting for outright first place in the AFC South this weekend, the Jaguars have wins on their schedule so far that would be benchmarks for are you a real contender? Do you belong amongst the top teams in the AFC? Or are you just hanging out and enjoying the ride? 
did you see what Travis Etienne was able to do last weekend? I was, yes. It's funny because in a league where we constantly hear about the devalue, so to speak, of the running back position, we are seeing more and more quarterbacks that are really comfortable because of being able to hand off to running backs that are able to kind of take over games. ETN was there. You know, ETN was hurt last year, and so Jacksonville didn't have that kind of that punch. You have to you have to game plan for him, yeah. quite frankly, because he does have breakaway speed and he can he can run between the tackles. It's, it, he's quite frankly he's Zach Moss, but with Jonathan Taylor speed. And I'm not saying Moss didn't have speed, but you get what I'm saying there, right? You have to look at that. And then of course they went out and they they have tried to get weapons for Lawrence. And so there are challenges for the Colts in terms of defensively. Then you have the other aspect of it, Jimmy, that I don't know what it is about Jacksonville, but like the Colts, seemingly the Colts could go down Sunday with Peyton Manning in his prime, Lawrence Taylor in his prime, <laughs> Earl Campbell in his prime, and Jerry Rice in his prime. But where are they struggle. playing that game, though? Because it's in Jacksonville. Correct. Yep. yep. I mean, honestly, like there's just something about that place where they just, and, and do you buy into that stuff? Not really. I mean, especially not, you you just have so much roster turnover across the league that like, yes, for your mainstays, it can linger, but there's some players in the Colts roster, in fact, a high number of them that they, they haven't been a part of this losing streak, or maybe they have recently, but they weren't the ones that started this streak. And no, not really. What, what I pay attention more to is the trajectory of each team's internal development, and where is it? And the Jaguars, on paper, going into this season, especially on the offensive side of the ball, there's no doubt they're further along on that road than the Colts are, obviously, because they have the fourth overall pick last year, and they have a rookie quarterback. Another thing that jumps out to me about the Jaguars and what will be a fascinating test for the Colts, in particular their cornerback room. I don't want to call it a wake-up game, but all offseason, actually the last year, year and a half since that trade went down, the talk has been, what does Calvin Ridley do for this Jaguars offense? How does he break the top off of defenses? And man, if they're able to get a connection to him and Trevor Lawrence, look out. It happened last week against the talented Bills defense. Seven receptions on eight targets, 122 yards. He didn't find the end zone, but he was a threat throughout that contest. And that's where you talk into team building and adding weapons around Lawrence. That's back-to-back years now with Christian Kirk last year. And then finally the arrival after suspension of Calvin Ridley and what he's been able to do this year. They are a potent offense, as potent as any in the National Football League. When they're right, that was a when-they're-right game last week against the Bills. And it's going to be another tough test for the Colts. But it doesn't matter where the Colts are in terms of their rebuild, Jake. This is a game against a team that was picked to win this division, going away by some outlets, that are a true measuring stick for where you stand as an organization. And you're going to have your hands full. But if you come away with a victory, then all of a sudden it's no longer, well, the Colts are 4-2 and two and somehow we're in first place in the AFC South. Now it's they've beaten Jacksonville twice this year. And they were able to do it this time without their rookie quarterback. Like th- It changes a little bit in terms of the perception of maybe where the Colts could be in the South if they're able to get a clean sweep of Jacksonville completed on Sunday. Uh, by the way, this tweet from Paul, who's a huge fan of mine. Um, 
Paul's bio, and this is always good radio, right? Reading bios of people on Twitter. That's been done before, I think. Uh, 37-year-old editor, 7th degree black belt, living in Quarry's head. That's what it says in his bio. Now, if you're putting that in your Twitter bio, who's living in whose head? It's right? tough. Uh, Pod calling the kettle black. This yep, is exactly. some of the worst yep. radio I've ever heard. What is this blank? That from Paul. It's nice. <laughs> Paul, Paul told me like a year ago he's never listening again. So that's kind of cool, right? He's still around. Paul, thanks, man. I'm glad to know that, that you can't get... That speaks to the impression that you leave on people right, right. there. Yep. Paul's my man. Can't get enough. Paul, uh, I appreciate it. Jimmy, I also hate to correct you. You realize the Colts did not beat Jacksonville week one, right? I, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. Yes. By the way, do we know what a Puma is? What's a Puma? Is that a Panther? You want me to go back yeah, down that tree as well? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the Jaguars, by the way, did something in the offseason that I think if we were to ask Robin the Genie would say is actually a forecast of what the Colts might be about to do. Uh, Pumas are also known as mountain lions, cougars, or panthers. So wait a minute, a Puma's a panther? Or, or a cougar. Well, ooh la la, right? <laughs> they're, all, they're all big cats. They're all large cats. Uh, well, it depends on the cougar you're talking about, right? I don't know where you're hanging out, right? You know, I mean, what bars are you going to, right? What I'm bars are you going to? Huh? What bars are you going to? Well, I, I've got my cougar with me when I go, and I'm wearing my Pumas. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Let's be real. I mean, you know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> Paul knows all about this because he's from Peru, and they're the Tigers. He probably knows a little bit more about this than I, and he's probably livid that we're still talking about it. But when it comes to Jaguars, they did something last year that I think is a perfect forecast for something the Colts are going to have to do. And the Colts look at it, and they see the results, and Jacksonville laid the blueprint, and the Colts are about to fall right into exactly that. I'll tell you what that is, and something last night that happened in the Pacer game that, to work, to use CNC Music Factory, makes you go, hmm. Both those things, yet to come, and Adam Archuleta in an hour. If we were to get in Doc Brown's DeLorean... Get it up to 88 miles an hour, use the 1.21 gigawatts, and we're going to go back to 2021. The Arizona Cardinals had a wide receiver that started 11 games, played in 17, caught 103 passes for 982 yards and five touchdowns. And the Jacksonville Jaguars say, you know what? You're a free agent. We want to sign you. How about we give you $20 million up front, four years, $72 million? And literally, the rest of the league goes, what? Who in the world thinks Christian Kirk is worth $18 million a year with $20 million guaranteed? Right here. That's one of them. Yep. And, and here's the thing. He was. No doubt. They overpaid for him, Jimmy. By league standards, they overpaid for him. Yes. Because they had a young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that they were trying to find a stable wide receiving threat. So what does he do? He comes over to Jacksonville. He starts all 17 games. He gets a career high in receptions with 84. He gets a career high in yards with 1,108 yards. He gets a career high in touchdowns with eight. And he provides a stable security blanket for Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence clearly makes a large step. You know, he had... Trevor Lawrence also was out from underneath the, the the disaster of Urban Meyer, but there were a lot that went into it. 
But Kirk, so my point is this. And he's still his favorite target to this day. Leading Correct. the team in targets, leading the team right in receptions. Right now, he started five games. He's got 30 receptions for 335 and a touch, right? Yep. Now, the point being this. Jacksonville probably gave Christian Kirk more than Christian Kirk was worth on the open market. But he was worth that to Jacksonville. And that's all that mattered. Find a place where your value is at its maximum based on situation. And for Christian Kirk, I'm sure his friends were like, Jacksonville? You're going to go play in Jacksonville? Are you serious? What about Miami? What about Tampa? What about Dallas? What about staying in Arizona where the weather's awesome? What about LA? Don't you want to put his buddies are probably like, what are you talking about? Jacksonville. You're going to Jacksonville? You played at Texas A&M. Go sign with Houston. Go sign. And he's like, but Jacksonville, my value's higher in Jacksonville with what they need than anywhere else. And they are willing to pay me based on my value being higher to them than it is other teams. That's exactly the situation and the blueprint that the Colts are about to walk into with Michael Pittman Jr. Because Michael Pittman Jr., is a really good player. Is he an elite number one receiver player? Probably not. But he's been that for the Colts. And as I mentioned yesterday, if Alec Pierce in particular doesn't really take a big step, and I'm not saying Pierce is a guy that's not going to be on the roster, but I'm saying Josh Downs is clearly a player. But you need three, essentially, and you need one that is your clear number one receiver. If Alec Pierce is not going to take another step, then they still are in search of a number one receiver, the Colts. And Michael Pittman Jr.'s value thus becomes more to Indianapolis than it is when Michael Pittman Jr.'s buddies are like, dude, you played at USC. Go to the Rams. Go to the Chargers. Go to the Bucks. It's warm. Go to Houston. Man, go to Miami. And he's like, yeah, but guys, those places don't – I'm not as important to those lineups as I am to Indianapolis. So I got to go where I'm going to get paid. And as a result of that, they potentially are going to overpay Michael Pittman. And they got cap space to do it. Now, maybe they go out and find themselves another wide receiver out there on the market. Maybe they make a trade and they try to bring it. You know, somebody yesterday is like, they should trade uh, a first round pick for Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson's going to require like yeah. three top three picks, that's right? That's starting price. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, a, I'm telling people right now when Michael Pittman Jr. gets an offer from the Colts to extend, it's going to be a number that is going to pop out at you and you're going to look at it and go, he's not worth that. But he's worth that to the Colts, especially right now. And so, therefore, it, it you get what I'm saying there, Eddie? Yes. Or, uh, excuse me, Jimmy? I, I mean, they Christian Kirk has been worth it, right? To your point, right? He came in at a time where, and unless you were in the Jacksonville market, you wouldn't have seen it. I didn't see it. I viewed it like the rest of the league did, which is, wow, that's a holy overpay. What are you doing there? But you needed stability at the most important complementary position, 
I'll hear tight end out as well, but one of the most important complimentary positions that you can have for a young quarterback. And they had to overpay because they wanted to ensure, A, that Christian Kirk would sign with them, but B, that they weren't going to get outbid somewhere else because they viewed him as the best complimentary piece possible for Trevor Lawrence. And it worked out. It, it, it undisputedly worked out. And even if Christian Kirk doesn't touch the numbers he did last year and winds up being an average wide receiver for the final two years of that deal with how much it's helped Trevor Lawrence in his development and how much it's helped that offense. It worked. It might still be viewed as an overpay, but it worked. And for the Colts, your options are Jake, I suppose you could play the tag game with Michael Pittman jr. Or re-sign one of your own or do a drastic overpay somewhere else. For instance, there is an argument to be had of if T. Higgins is alone within an NFL roster, is he worthy of top shelf, high level wide receiver one money? Great question. And he might not Great be question. viewed that way. Because he's not a breakaway speed guy. Correct. He might not be viewed that way around the entire NFL. But there's a chance he could be viewed that way by a franchise that feels like he would be paramount to their quarterback's development. There are guys, Jimmy. I'm going to go on the wayback machine here. So we're now going to have Doc Brown put us even further in reverse. Um, Alvin Harper. Alvin Harper played alongside Michael Irvin, and people are like, this guy's a great, oh my gosh, he's great. And he signs a free agent with Tampa, and I, he was working at Publix like two years later, right? Um, Brett Perriman. Brett Perriman played alongside Herman Moore in Detroit, and it's like, this guy's he's he's the real deal. Herman Moore leaves or gets hurt or retires or whatever and Brett Perriman all of a sudden it's like wait what he's now a ferryman actually on Lake Michigan that you do get that now T Higgins I do think I mean he's got T Higgins catches everything yeah and and he can make difficult catches but the thing is if you T Higgins it's difficult to double right now because you've got to know where Jamar Chase is and he's not a get behind you kind of guy per se and if he is he's not a breakaway speed guy he's going to get caught from behind but he he's a great possession receiver, no doubt about it. Is he a number one? Probably not, right? But he very well might get paid that way. Because that is still a position where teams are willing to break the bank to ensure they either get their guy. And sometimes you have an overpay situation, right? The Jaguars are, I don't want to say they're fully an anomaly, but it doesn't often work that way. The reason it was perceived an overpay for a lot of different people was, well, he's been fine in Arizona, but you're going to pay him that kind of money? That contract's going to look terrible in two or three years. He's not going to do anything, and it's the Jaguars. We'll laugh about it because they don't know what they're doing as a franchise. And now it appears they did. So that's a risk you run anytime you make an investment in a player. But when you mentioned potential money for Michael Pittman Jr., and I initially kind of balked at it, like $30 million a year for him, well, it might not fully average out to that number, or he might not be getting paid $30 million each year. He could be front-loaded. It could be $45 million one year, like $40 million another year. But... For T. Higgins, if that's our conversation with Michael Pittman Jr., yes, I think a team would most definitely overpay for T. Higgins. I'm not saying the Colts are going to go get him, but if I was, and they have a good, somewhat of a good core uh, in in terms of what they could develop around, but if I was the Texans, and I haven't looked at their cap numbers, but without solid C.J. Stroud has looked with what I have around him now, I would think about overpaying a wide receiver next year. Maybe T. Higgins is on their radar. I don't know. But like th- that's what you're looking at if you're at this stage of your quarterback's development, not just the Colts, but around the league. How do you make him better? And overpace can't happen because of that. Okay, here's the other thing I wanted to discuss. A couple of weeks ago, well, it was 
probably more like a month and a half ago, I was in the mall downtown. So I had to have been doing the morning show because we would have meetings an hour after the show and I would walk around the mall a lot of times just to get exercise after the show. And I walked into one of the sporting goods stores there and there was a really nice woman and a guy in there and they were asking if they sold Desmond Bain Memphis Grizzlies jerseys. I'm like, well, that's random, right? And I I think I said, like, you know, actually, because Desmond Bain had just signed with the Grizzlies. And I said, you know, a trivia question, Desmond Bain has the highest NBA contract for an Indiana high school player in history. And the woman said, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, I knew he signed because he's my son. So well, that would explain why you're looking for a Desmond Bain jersey. And so we got to chatting, and she said that she was a, a bartender at Friday's up in Clearwater. So I don't know, a week or two later, we're going out to dinner, and I told Shannon about it. And she goes, let's go in Friday's and, and – see that woman i said okay so we went in there could not a super nice gal and she now lives in memphis she moved to memphis because desmond bain signed that big deal and she was telling me the house that desmond bain bought for her is dylan brooks old house and i'm like well you know and she goes yeah that was the house itself she's like you know we, we had to do some things to it before i moved in and dylan brooks of course if you recall last year I mean, he. what was it he said? Like, he guaranteed – didn't he say something like they were going to shut down LeBron or something like he, that? He poked yeah. the bear, yes. He poked the bear, yeah. And, and then he, and, did, he couldn't back up the talk either. And he was a free agent, but Memphis made it very clear to him. I don't ever recall a team coming out and saying, emphatically, without <laughs> question, we are not resigning you. <laughs> like, they, they basically issued a statement, right? Like, Dylan yeah. Brooks' time is done here, and any players that want to buy his house, go ahead and do it now because there's zero chance that he is staying in Memphis. We want nothing to do with him. The, the, the printout was, we're still competing for a championship. We're not happy with how the season ended. And by the way, we're never signing him. Correct. That was, that was, that was that, the that, bullet That's point. basically what they said, yes, right? Yes. And so he goes and signs with Houston. This is really odd to me, what I'm about to play you. I found it really weird. Last night, the Rockets and Pacers play in the preseason. The game was televised on Houston Rockets television. And Dylan Brooks was ejected from the game. What quarter was that, Eddie? Was that first quarter? Very first quarter, like less than five minutes into the game per ESPN. So he gets ejected for, I mean, you could make the argument that it was an inadvertent, but I don't think it was. Um knock to the sensitive area of Daniel Tice. Easiest way to say it, okay? And so not only did he get a flagrant two for it, but he got ejected from the game. Now, that's the background. So here's a guy that is new to your franchise that you know his previous stop went and helped him pack up his office and said, like, get the hell out of here and don't ever come back. We want nothing to do with you. So there obviously is already, you would think, like a little bit of a hesitation about the stigma that comes with him, and you're curious to see how he's going to work out, what kind of player he's going to be. And this was how it sounded on the Houston Rockets television broadcast last night when the incident happened. And when you have a guy that just makes you have a long knife, there's another one, a bit of an elbow there to Tice, who is shaking up a little bit. He just took out two guys on that play, Craig. Forgive and, me, Craig. I love it. Okay. And, and now, I love now, it. And now Tice and Brooks have some words with one another. 
Yeah, Tice not happy about the low blow there. It looks like he got him in the man parts. I didn't see a wind-up. It looks like he was just running through the play. Got to get a better look. First off, okay, so I believe that's Mario Ellie and as well uh, Ryan Hollins, and then the, the play-by-play voice is Craig Ackerman. But, like, the fact that they're laughing about it, and they're like, I love it, I love it. What? Like, how do you love a guy getting ejected, a, a guy that, that theoretically is going to be an important player for you, that already has a history of being a knucklehead, and the first essentially thing he does for your for your franchise is gets ejected from a game? Am I missing something here? I'm not trying to be the old guy yelling at clouds, but like, am I missing I, something? So look, I would need to hear. I would need to hear the entire broadcast from the point of that play to his ejection, because I will say, in defense of the announcers, you don't know that that's going to be a flagrant two when it happens. Still, shouldn't like. I still agree with you, Jake. The idea that you're cheering it on is a little odd, but I don't know that they knew live when they said that that it was a clear. Oh, he went after his groin and. On the Pacers side of things last night, Mark Boyle was a little surprised that he was warranted a flagrant two. He said he understood the flagrant one with the you know the cheap shot to the to the family jewels, but he didn't think it warranted a. Yeah, but I, but I also two. don't think. Here's the thing. I I don't think it warrants like thinking it's celebrating and thinking it's. I would agree either. because yes. of the the history of it, right? Yeah. I mean the 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 guys. The guy's history is such that you're already, like, you would think very guarded. The reaction you would think would be, and and to be fair, Jimmy, you're right. I mean, maybe there was more to it that, that I missed. But the reaction you would think would be like, oh, and you know what? I mean, this is the this was the reputation, guys. This has been the concern. Yeah. Like, when, if Ron Artest, and, and they're, it's a little bit different. It's apples and oranges because Artest. But if Ron Artest was signed somewhere and showed some sort of volatility, most would think that the reaction in particular from the team standpoint would be, well, you know, hey, listen, you know, th- this is one of the things that, you know, the coaches really got to get in- get control of because we know the history here. And, you know, there's a reason he was available and they think that they can work him out, but you got to be careful. You know, that kind of thing, right? Yes. <laughs> four, four years, 80 million. <laughs> I don't get it, right? Oh, my uh, Hey, God. Jake, how many different ways can you say he got hit in the balls? Uh, okay, I mean, that's fair. Can we say that? You're the veteran. Not the basketballs. How's that? All right. He was hit in a very – every guy knows what I'm talking about. And, and for the for that matter, when you see the video, you instantly get like a 15-second stomach ache yep. followed by deep sweats. Yep. Right? Grab the leg. I just didn't get it. I'm like, it, it, I guess that – is that funny? I mean, I, I guess the thing that's funny is the Rockets. It, it probably is funny because that organization's been a clown show, right? I, I know that they've won titles and they're rebuilding, but and they've got some good young players. I think Jabari Smith is actually going to evolve into a Green. player. But you know, yeah, I mean, come on, that's funny. Hell yeah, Zaire Franklin and the company too. We found that out last night. By the way, so last night when I was at Hoagies and Hops for Zaire Franklin's fundraising event. Ashley sends the following tweet. I saw a query at Hogan Hops for uh, the event with Zaire Franklin last night. I was too nervous to say, hey, but so cool to see him make an appearance. Keep up the great work, my friend. See? Ashley, there was a, a 
Ashley had pointed out one day that she and a couple of other people on Twitter, they were like, man, I would love to, I, I had sent something about somewhere I'd been in the city and they were like, I would love to go like on a city tour with you. And I'm like, let's do it. And we were supposed to do it last year in the fall. And then I, I can't remember what came up. A couple of things popped up and we couldn't do it. But I still think it'd be fun. Like Aquarian Company Civic Tour. You just hop in the Cherokee with me. No puking in the car. That's the only rule, right? Um, and then I get to, I control the music. And we'll drive around. I'll take you to every landmark in this town. You want to see, like, if, if, certainly if there was a crime that happened, I can show you where it was, right? Take you to some famous graves. I know people love to, nothing like a little grave tour, right? Have some people that own homes yell at us because they're confused why we're there. <laughs> it's happened to me before, yes, that's right. <laughs> what are you doing in my, in my driveway? Well, actually, I'm here for, you know, see a couple of historic moments, historic things. I can actually show you, here's one for you. I'll just offer this little tidbit. Have you ever, and I, I exhaustively researched this. If you are driving on I-65 south from the north side of Indianapolis, like let's say you're on 465 up by the pyramids and you get on 65 southbound. All right. And you're taking it towards downtown. And just when you come around, I'm trying to think if it's just before or just after, but Methodist Hospital's on your left. Yep. And there's an exit ramp for like 21st Street and MLK. Yep. That ramp is elevated, like it goes down. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember if it's the 21st Street ramp or the MLK ramp. I think it's the 20... No, it's the it's the ramp for MLK. So Methodist is on your left, and you're kind of coming down an elevated ramp. It, when you're on that ramp, if you were to right then snap your fingers and snap yourself back to the turn of the 19th century... That area underneath, literally under the overpass, underneath that ramp, in that area was, I will say house, for lack of a better phrase, the structure where Marshall Taylor was born. And Marshall Taylor was a young African-American boy, and at that time, that was the black segregated area of Indianapolis. There were two black neighborhoods in Indianapolis. That was one. The other is right essentially where the 6570 split is. Like that like if you were to go down you know like like just east of Penn and you run into the interstate. When they built the United States interstate systems, it basically cleared out the black neighborhoods in a lot of cities including in Indianapolis. But, but Marshall Taylor was born right there in that area. And by the time, and his mother cleaned houses on the north side of Indianapolis at that time, which was basically Meridian Street at about 2200 to like 3500 north. And the family that his mother cleaned houses for had a young boy that had a bicycle. And after school, Marshall Taylor would go to that family because his mother was working at the house and ride the little boy's bicycle. And he became very good friends with the little boy. And despite at that time Indianapolis being a segregated city, he and his mother were were essentially befriended by the white family, if you will, that where, where she worked. And so eventually the family bought Marshall Taylor his own bicycle. 
and he would ride his bicycle to the house after school. And one day they said, listen, we need to talk to you about the fact that clearly you're leaving school early. And he said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, you have to be because there's no way you would get here that fast. And he said, well, that's, I ride my bike that fast. Well, he eventually got a job on what is now Michigan Road. There's a bicycle hospital, it's called, on Michigan Road, just south of 38th Street. And that at one time was a bicycle shop where Marshall Taylor wanted to work because he loved the bicycle. But he couldn't work there because he was black. So the work, the, the shop owner, and Marshall Taylor was like 14 years old, gave him a bike and, and he had taught himself how to do all these tricks with a bike. So he sat in front of the bike shop doing all these tricks to lure people into the bike shop because they were fascinated by this little boy that was doing all these bike tricks. And his father was in the military, so he wore his father's military jacket in the cold weather times, and thus he became known as Major. And by the turn of the 20th century, Major Taylor was the first African-American world champion in any sport in the world, and he was a bicycle sprint racing champion from Indianapolis. And he eventually moved to Chicago because he couldn't race in Indianapolis due to the segregation once he was an adult. And many people in Indianapolis, I think now people know of Major Taylor, but that area, I, I literally spent like a month trying to research exactly the location where he was born. And I'm pretty certain I found the exact spot where he was born. We'll put that in the tour, right? I'll take you to the bike hospital. I'll take you to where he was born. The whole deal. He's buried in Chicago, so we can't go there. I pass a beautiful mural every day. Correct. Coming to work. Correct. Ironically enough, Major Taylor's fame as, and he was, Major Taylor was Tiger Woods. In 1902, Major Taylor was the most famous athlete in the world. But it was for a very short window because, ironically enough, the rubber that he used on his bicycle, he used to help develop a rubber for a new mode of transportation called the automobile. And in his hometown, 10 years later of Indianapolis, the automobile, they started staging races that then essentially completely pushed out interest in bicycle racing because people were more fascinated by the racing of automobiles. So the exact city where he was born and launched is also the city that essentially rendered irrelevant his racing career. That's just one of the things on the tour, I'm telling you, right? Sign me up. Uh, Pacers talk next. Now, with that little history lesson... I should confess to an errant history lesson in regards to this song. 17 years ago, something like that, I was doing the morning show on WIBC and the song Paradise City came on. Terry Stacy and I were involved in a conversation where, Jimmy, give me a song where you have always like messed up the lyrics. Like you saw the lyrics in print and you're like, oh my gosh, that's that. those are the words? Um... Uh... I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, what is it, Rock the Cashbaugh or whatever that is? Okay. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Rocking the Cashbaugh? I and still you, don't know it. You I thought it was Rock the Cash Bar? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, basically. Yeah. I mean, so you see it and you're like, really? Yes. So Terry Stacy and I were involved in a conversation, this was like 2006 probably, on WIBC about that, like weird songs like that. And, and that spawned into talking about misconceptions or urban legends about the origin of songs notably phil collins in the air tonight people think it's about a guy that he witnessed drowning and you know somebody didn't help out and so i said on the air i go yeah terry listen to this when i was at iu we thought paradise city by guns and roses because axel rose and izzy stradlin were from lafayette the the iu purdue rivalry was such 
that somebody started this urban legend on the Bloomington campus that Paradise City was actually written about IU because Axl Rose growing up in Lafayette in order to hang out and party with pretty girls had to go to Bloomington where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. And I go, and we really believe that. Like, you know, I, I'm, I was poking fun at the absurdity right. of that notion, right? Well, some, so there is some website. I'll let Eddie, Harris, Eddie Garrison Google it here. There's a website, like if you look up Guns N' Roses Paradise City song facts, somebody, said, somebody heard me talking about that on the radio and then in the old phone game drill, put on the web that I was a disc jockey at WIBC, which hasn't played radio, mind you, in, in, or music in 40 years, <laughs> that I was a disc jockey at WIBC and that I was a close personal high school friend of Axl Rose's that would go to Bloomington and party with him. So probably every three or four years when IU and Purdue play in basketball, somebody posts that. Okay, what's it say, Eddie? On 93.1 WIBC-FM. A radio station in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jake Query, who is a friend of Axl Rose, explained that the part of the song where they sing where the grass is green and the girls are pretty is about when Axl Rose and his family would go down to Bloomington, Indiana. None of that is true, right? But that's still on that webpage of Song Facts. That is uh, from Andrew in Indianapolis who submitted that one. So... Every, like, probably three years when Indiana and Purdue play in basketball, somebody like Barstool IU or somebody finds that and tweets it out, and then, like, my phone blows up with all these people like, how did you know Axel Rose? And I'm like, I, I never claimed any of that. So is Axel like, part of the Andrew co- right now is probably writing a thing about how I went to high school with Major Taylor, right? Is, is Axel part of the company? <laughs> well, let me tell you. It's the only – listen, I don't know if you know this or not, Jimmy. I, I am a groupie for Guns N' Roses. I've never met Axel Rose. I've never met him. I, now, I can take you to his home, his his childhood home, part of the tour. I can take you there, right? Never met him. Saw him perform in Denver. Saw him perform in Toronto. Saw him perform in Chicago. Saw him perform in Cincinnati. Saw him perform in um, Las Vegas. Saw him perform several times here. I mean, I'm, I'm a full-on groupie. But no. But yeah, he, if Axl Rose wants in the company, the only way he's going to stay in the company is the fact we don't have an HR department. <laughs> That's the good news, yeah. right? That's good for him. <laughs> Uh, last night, Eddie, you were working the Pacer game, right? Yes, sir. You know, I thought what was really interesting, and I guess this is kind of what preseason's for, but really balanced in terms of their rotations and the players they used, right? Yeah, I believe Oscar Shibway was the only player that did not play last night, but the rotations were a little bit uh, different compared to the first game. I think uh, Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard both did not play their first preseason game on uh, last Sunday until the second half. They got a little bit earlier uh, yesterday in the first half and or I should say last night. And uh, Ben Shepard can play. He can play. Dude makes plays both on defense and on offense. Can shoot the ball well. Now, Ben Shepard, what did Chad Buchanan say when we talked about him? He said the, the real asset for Ben Shepard is that he goes out there and plays at a level, in particular in practice, where it forces veterans to up their game because they're like, man, this young guy's hungry, and, and he's coming for my job, basically. Uh, last night, 11 points for Ben Shepard. He was 4 of 9 from the floor, but he did play 23 minutes. And the plus-minus thing, I, I've i never really bought into that, but I know what it means. It's like the, the, the plus or minus from a scoring standpoint of the minutes that you're on the floor. Versus off, yeah. Um, 
he was even in that, and there were a lot of guys that were under. Now, Jalen Smith last night only played 12 minutes, but was 5 for 5 from the floor. He's a guy that we kind of forget about. Yeah. You know, they're going to need, you know, you do need some size, and he's in that rotation. Smith, to me, he kind of fell out of rotation a year ago. And I'm really curious to see what kind of minutes he does get. But the group that started, you had ben, Benedict Matherin, Obi Toppin, Daniel Tice, Bruce Brown, TJ McConnell. So, yeah, you're, you're clearly trying out different combinations just to see how guys respond, right? And and that's really all that you utilize the preseason for outside of evaluating in talent. Like, we, we talk about how much does the NFL preseason actually matter, and there's aspects to it that don't, but also you're dealing with such larger rosters naturally because of the positions that you have to field versus what you're dealing with with the NBA. Uh, the bigger thing, and this is just Pacers-specific, and it's nobody's fault is what it is, second straight game without Tyrese Halliburton or Andrew Nemhard, And, again, that's not a cause for concern, by any means, Halliburton just didn't dress and Nemhard, uh, this from Tony East, recovering from kidney stone removal, but it's unfortunate because if anything, what you'd like to see in the preseason outside of lineup changes is seeing how leaders on this roster will pair and perform together. Get an early taste of that before the season starts and for the Pacers, trending like that's not going to be the case. You're going to have to wait till the opening festivities to see any of that. Have you ever had kidney stones? No. Eddie? Negatory. It's not something I want to ever experience. So did though. they? Did you know Tony Gwynn? I remember once had kidney stones, and they went in and like blasted them, like lasered them. Yeah. Do we know which happened for Andrew Nimhard? Because passing them naturally would be, I think, less than comfortable, right? Yeah, no, that's not something you want to have to go through. That's why I said I don't want to have to go through it. Yeah, no, thank you. Just- I've heard, I remember I had a buddy whose little brother got kidney stones one time, and we were out to dinner. And all of a sudden, he gets a phone call, and he's like, oh, my gosh, something's going on with my brother. Like, they just rushed him to the hospital. I mean, it was – and I'm not making light of it. I mean, it was like they didn't know what was wrong. And, I mean, he couldn't sit up straight. He was in so much pain. And my understanding is it's absolutely terrible. But the good news for Andrew Nimhard would be, you know, it doesn't keep you out long once once that part of it is, is over with. But back to Ben Shepard, I do think he's an interesting guy because how much does he break full-time into the rotation is an interesting question because – I think when they drafted Ben Shepard, when they got that additional pick, that that first round pick, and, and they knew that they it gave them some flexibility because they knew what they had. I think they were, you know, really excited about Jarris Walker. But Ben Shepard, it feels like, is a guy that was acquired by Indiana with the expectation that he was not necessarily going to be an immediate contributing guy and was somebody that they could kind yes. of groom into a combo role of both outside shooter and in addition to that. Um, just kind of bulldog defender, right? In, and if he gives you minutes this year, Jimmy, it's bonus. Instant, Yes, instant success in terms of what you were hoping for this season. If he gets you any minutes, and if as a peak, and I would think this would be a peak depending on what the Pacers do this year from a transaction standpoint, if he's at all involved in your second unit in any significance, yes, that's a major step totally. forward from where you probably evaluated like, it, it It's like be. a found $10 bill when yeah, you're doing laundry, yeah, right? Yes. Yep. Um, and, and again, then you have to guard against getting too excited about the preseason itself because you have no idea, you know, when Ben Shepard was on the floor last night, how much is he, you know, is he on the floor with guys that he's regularly going to be running with in a second unit? If you look at it right now, 
their starting unit, it would seem, and Eddie, feel free to chime in because you know you and Eddie, let people know that are listening your role with the Pacers broadcast. Uh, I produce all the games for Mark Boyle, Pat Boylan, Eddie White's post game show, uh, the world's greatest post game show, indeed, yes, yeah. So you are obviously listening and paying attention, you know, to to the games. You'll be a valuable resource in that regard because you're going to know everything that goes on from one game to the next when we talk about it. But if yep. you were to wager right now, or or just either one of you guys if we were to look at who we anticipate the starting lineup to be and the rotations to be and maybe that's what this entire preseason is about figuring out but I think it's safe to say the guys that you know I mean obviously Halliburton is a starter right yes. that that we know I mean there's no doubt about that Turner same way um same with Miles Turner okay and I think the way they've started the last their only two preseason games you would just substitute Tyrese Halliburton in for T.J. McConnell. That means Ben Matherin, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, and Miles Turner would be the starting five. That would be my assumption. I'm I'm willing to hear, and and we'll wait till the opener. I agree with Eddie. That would be the lineup. I would say, but I would be willing to hear an argument of, I guess, some combination of either Heald or Brown or Heald or Matherin being swapped. Now, Todd Meyer has handed me this: the blasting of kidney stones is called. Lithotripsy? Lithotripsy. Lithotripsy. I should have known that. Why am I so off on my eyes today? Lithotripsy. I forgive you. Now, what? forgive you. And, and then um, <laughs> the natural passing of kidney stones is known as burning hell. That's all I know, right? Yeah. That's actually the medical term. Todd's been through it, man. You got to gotta drink less of Big Red. That's my understanding. Burnus Hellas. Never had it. <laughs> Burnus Hellas. That's the medical term. Yep. I think JMV said that he used to drink like nine <laughs> gallons of Big Red soda a day, and then he got kidney stones when he was 12. <laughs> and that was a bit of an indicator that it might be time to slow it down. Um, you know, TJ McConnell is another one that's two guys for the Pacers roster that are like looking in the mirror. But in different spectrums, different ends of the spectrum, Ben Shepard and TJ McConnell are both guys that when you look at it, you don't anticipate necessarily that that there are spots for them in terms of in bulk. And, and TJ McConnell has been a great player for them. But TJ McConnell, when he was originally acquired by the Pacers, was kind of a late off-season edition from Philly as a free agent. And at the time, they had just drafted Aaron Holiday. And part of why they brought in TJ McConnell was to kind of groom Aaron Holiday and make the transition easier for Aaron Holiday as like a backup point guard role. And what they really liked about TJ McConnell was he was very supportive of Aaron Holiday. Aaron Holiday's coming off the floor after a big play. T.J. McConnell's first one to run out there, give him a high five, encourage him. But then a funny thing happened where the Pacers realized that Aaron Holiday was most comfortable on the floor when sharing the backcourt with T.J. McConnell. So they started using Aaron Holiday almost as an off guard, but he's built like a point guard. And they're like, wait a minute. Things happen when T.J. McConnell's on the floor. He's the master at inbound turnover, like getting a turnover from the other team on an inbounds pass. He he just facilitates. I remember last year saying, TJ McConnell understands angles better than anybody that I've seen in a while. And by that I mean, he's like a Wayne Gretzky type where he's not thinking about where the ball is 
is. He's thinking about where the ball would go. And in terms of like loose rebounds or finding an open cutter, like he just understands the angles of where guys are going to be, not where they are. He's really good at that. So McConnell is a guy that he's kind of hard to keep off the floor because things just happen when he's out there, truth be told. But they also know, and, and McConnell, as I've been told, when his playing days are done, don't be surprised if he ends up working in the Pacers' office in some way, shape, or form. They think that highly of him. All of that said, you now have a logjam kind of you know guys that can play that spot. I mean, in order for T.J. McConnell to be on the floor, it would mean theoretically that Tyrese Halliburton is taking a breather or that Andrew Nimhard is not on the floor or that even like Bruce Brown is not on the floor or you know there are guys that 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 position even Isaiah Wong who's young and and probably is you know a two-way player but because he's towards the end of his career you don't want TJ McConnell taking up too many minutes that are taking away from a guy that in fact they need to find out who the, what they have in sure in. and then the other side of that is Ben Shepard who's a guy that is kind of thought of in that same regard in terms of just a smart bulldog type player that you want to have on the floor. But I don't think that they are necessarily seeing him as being a minutes absorber right now, but rather like in a year or two. But both of them do things, Jimmy, to be honest with you, that are kind of hard to stay away from, right? So when Yes, and when you envision this year's Pacers roster, I guess to kind of bring everything full circle, do you then see if you were the Pacers – a similar outlook for TJ McConnell outside of his playing role of like they try to do with Aaron Holiday if we want you to try to bring along Ben Shepard? Do you view that do you view that as the same potential path there? For which player to bring him along? Like you mentioned with McConnell. Right. With Holiday. Do you view it the same way with Shepard? Yeah, but McConnell? Shepard's, Shepard good question, but Shepard's kind of a different player though sure. because he's more of like a three, sure. right? In ter- in terms of instead of a point. But but my point being, like with Shepard, I guess I mean like the style they play. They're both physical players. Correct. You look at right. you look at TJ McConnell as a a guy that's going to be able to get you a number of steals a game. That's also shooting at the high level. That's been able to well, give t- him a flourishing career in the NBA. You'd see the same outlook for Shepard potentially, at least in terms of style. To- I agree with that totally. I, here's the thing: I think Ben Shepard is a lot like TJ McConnell in this regard, Jimmy. The analogy I used when we had Chad Buchanan on: We've all played pickup basketball, right? Mm-hmm. You go to Lifetime Fitness, which is now pickleball courts, but you go to, you know, wherever. You go to Ben Davis High School, you go to the JCC, you go to NIFS, you're going to play some pickup ball. And everybody's divvying up their teams. And there's one guy that, you know, he kind of looks like, um, I just completely blank. What's the name of the guy that was in the office, the actor? Which one? No, 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 that guy. Michael Scott? Are you talking about? um... The actor. Steve Carell? Steve Carell, thank you. I can't believe I just spaced on his name. So there's always a guy that looks like Steve Carell out there, right? That's like some architect. He's 42 years old. He's on his lunch break, and he's hoping to get some burn, right? <laughs> yeah. He's got hair on his shoulders. Yes. He's wearing shorts that are outdated and a pair of, like, pony high tops. You're like, who is this idiot? And so you, you're out there just trying to play some pickup ball, maybe put up a couple threes. And so the guy on your team inbounds it to you, and you take two dribbles, and you turn around, and you're at the opposite, the opposite end free throw line. Full court, baby. And this Steve Carell guy is all <laughs> over you. 
and he's checking you up, and like this dude all of a sudden thinks that it's Pike versus Decatur Central in 1982, and you're like, w- w- dude, what are you doing here, man? I'm just trying to get some exercise. We're just playing some pickup ball. And this guy is all over you. And he's, he, his sweat is gelatinous, and the, 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 his tank top is stuck to his back, and, and literally, like, his, his thighs are... are he's putting like, in work, Jake. Correct. And you're like, dude, this guy is totally throwing me off. That's your like 10-day I, contract right there, by the way. What's that? That's your real 10-day contract right there in terms of that dream. Totally. That guy well, swoops right. in and he's, you're right. he's there. And that guy is TJ McConnell. That guy's yeah. the guy that in the NBA, guys get out there and they're like, what is this dude doing? Like, we're just trying to inbound the ball, and he's, like, stealing it and making passes. And Ben Shepard's that that guy, too. Ben Shepard's the guy, at least at this point, where everybody else is like, dude, why is this guy going 120 miles an hour? Like, slow down, dude. We're just out here trying to chill out. (laughs) You know? Yes. Come on. There's always that guy. Were you that guy? Eddie, you look like you might be that guy. No Mm. offense. (laughs) I wish I was that guy. Really? Yeah. Are you a baller? No. What sport did you play? I played baseball. You're a catcher, weren't you? Yeah. You were, aren't you? Mm-hmm. How did I know that? I probably told you before. No, you just you're kind of you're short, stocky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're short and stout like a catcher. Like, yeah. like many Indiana kids, I was in love with the three ball. Right. I love to shoot from beyond the arc, but the way that I would play, yes, was like that. I knew I needed to be scrappy. I knew I needed to go and outwork everybody for every loose ball. Yes, that was me. My career ended. Uh, got cut from freshman team. That was the end of it. Switch to broadcasting immediately. How far did you go in baseball, Eddie? Uh, high school. Played up through my senior year. How many How many did you throw out trying to steal? Uh, I don't know. Did you do it? Yeah. Really? Duh. What What? what pitches? So how many How many signs did you use? Uh, it depends on the pitcher. I, I caught a guy who had a, a palm ball. That was fun. Palm ball? Yeah. Can you explain a palm ball? Yeah, you put the ball in your palm and you throw it. I don't sounds, know how he sounds ha- like middle school. Don't know how he did it, but however he gripped the ball and threw it, you just didn't know where it was going. It was like a knuckleball at the speed of a fastball. It was freaky. Uh, uh, okay, so is a fastball always one? Yep, always. Yeah. And then, so then, how, like the runner on second, he's got to know the fastballs. He, he can see your sign, right? Yeah. Most of the time, though, these days in high school now, especially they have wristbands and they do number a number system, and then the catcher gets it from the pitch coach and he looks down and he tells him and then there's usually a coding system for you know where the pitch is located so it's the plate is divided up into five different sections or six so when different you see sections. the guy on third base and he's and he's doing his shoulders and he's rubbing his hat and his nose and all that like what's so what is it it's basically like whichever sign is after i hit my nose and then everything else is irrelevant yeah sometimes depends like i said they go to a coding system now and that too so they can yell, yell 34 3 or something or 12 21 so you go 12 down 21. Now, now, what about this? When the, when the catcher's showing the sign to the pitcher, yeah. wh- why is he always hitting the inside of his thigh? What do you mean? I mean, he, does, like, he doesn't just do the number. Like He, he kind of hits his thigh a few times, and he throws a couple numbers. And he, you know. Sometimes that could be location. Depending on which thigh you touch, touch the left thigh could be inside, touch the right thigh could be outside. I'm more of a pitch com guy myself. <laughs> How many pass balls did you allow? Not a lot. I was a defensive catcher. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, did you call the pitches? No. Well, high school, no. Our pitching coach called them all. Really? Mm-hmm. That seems. Then, then what were you doing? Uh, calling the pitches, framing them. I thought you said you weren't calling the pitches. Well, calling the pitches that he gave me. Yeah. Did you ever defy his his request? No. You should have. What if you thought it was a better thing? What if you thought a palm ball was better? 
Well, the, the, that particular pitcher didn't play on our high school team. He was on my travel team for oh, summer. Yeah. If, you're, if your coach yeah. was like Mike McDaniel, he would have praised you had it worked out. It <laughs> happened with two of this past week. <laughs> yeah. What travel team were you on? Uh, I played for the Indian Astros. And what's the furthest you traveled? Uh, now, the Astros, did you guys use the trash can? I was going to ask you that. No. Oh, you that was before. Huh? That was before that, so no. You weren't pioneers? Okay. No. What's the furthest you traveled? We went to Michigan. We didn't go far, um, but Battle Creek, Michigan, I think it was the furthest we went. Oh, did, you get, did you get Kellogg's when you were there? No, we did not. You we sure? went to Detroit, so maybe Detroit. I can't remember. You know, Battle uh, Creek's the home of all the cereals, right? Mm. Now, now I do. They used Gatorade coolers. It was ahead of their time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Now, the... If you were to get a lifetime supply of Kellogg cereal, what would you have gotten? Oh, uh, Frosted Flakes. Yeah, that's pretty hard yeah. to argue that. Yep. Not Wheaties? Mm-mm. That's probably why you're a catcher, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, for what it's worth. Um, so anyway, last night, Pacers did lose, by the way. That's the other thing that we didn't even get to, the fact they're now 0-2 in the preseason. But it doesn't really mean much. 122-103, Dylan Brooks was ejected um, for essentially racking, to use that term, Daniel Tice. Uh, Tice, I didn't think he'd still be on the roster, I'll be honest with you. Last year when they acquired him, I thought that they were going to try to use him as an enforcer-type player. He was injured. He never really got a chance to go out there and go. And I think there were a lot of people that thought that he would be deemed expendable and that they'd try to flip him or or do something with him. But um, he does bring to the table something that they don't really have elsewhere, right? Just in terms of size, rebounding, etc. So we'll see what his role is. Um, Isaiah Jackson also... You know, 14 minutes last night. He he's. I'm really curious about Isaiah Jackson because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this year, right? And he's kind of in that same battle as well with Jalen Smith in terms of who's able to grapple with the minutes that are there, but also you're looking at the depth chart perspective. Obviously, Miles going to get the start, but that's kind of why that logjam was there for a lot of the year last season Jake so yes you're, you're actively hoping if it's going to happen it's going to happen this year for Isaiah Jackson but I kind of feel not that it's going to happen from a skill standpoint but will he be able to seize the opportunity on Jalen Smith's side of the ledger as well on the Jalen Smith side of things he said he added some pounds this offseason so I think he's going to be the backup center or compete for that position more so than power forward because of the way he added some weight I don't know if it was muscle or just weight or whatever he however he wanted to phrase it but he added some some weight on this offseason to probably help himself be able to you know withstand some guys like Joel Embiid and did he say he was coming bigger. for Jokic is that what he said yeah, sure. that, did he say that yeah. in the statement okay oh yeah you know yeah. he is so athletic I, I mean Isaiah Jackson's game is so above the rim and you know the lob city now right like the, the thing is Obi Toppin plays kind of a similar style, I think, in terms of that above the rim and and capitalizing on Ty Halliburton's ability to get them in that area. But he is an intriguing guy because he was a COVID player in his year at Kentucky, so you didn't see a lot of him. You knew that he was freakishly athletic, and he is exactly that. I mean, he is absolutely freakishly athletic. But there are times where he's lightning in a bottle and other times where he is almost uh, a liability in particular at times defensively, because of that lack of muscle. So maybe that does come into play there. And then, like I said, you know, Jalen Smith, Stick Smith, as they call him within the roster itself, he was a guy that, that everybody did backflips when you got him. You see times where he gives you some stability on the block, but then also times where you're wondering if if he's taking the night off. You know what I mean? The inconsistency, I think, yeah. is, is frustrating for him. And the part with, like, Isaiah Jackson too last night five fouls in just 14 minutes like that's another part of his game too that's so 
you know, frustrating at times. It's like when he does get the opportunity, it feels like he's always struggling to stay on the on the court because he's always in foul trouble. Is the offseason a failure of assuming he starts the first play on opening night is not a lob to Obi Toppin? Well, Say he's that. had the first score for the last two is, nights. Is, is, is the offseason a failure if the opening, if on opening night the first play the Pacers run that's is not a lob to Obi Toppin? Oh, that's a great point. I mean, that's the whole, like, everybody's waiting for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I thought I was so creative because I was like, surely he's got to be Obi Wan, and then people are like, yeah, dude, that's what he wore in New York. I'm like, oh, that's right. But yeah, you got to run a lob play to him, right? That's the whole lob city, baby. I'm Flor- here for it. Was it was was Florida, Florida Gulf, Gulf Coast, Coast. Was, was yes, lob city, yes, right? Yep. But they haven't looked really t- Eddie. Why are you wrong? Well, they were technically. I was just dunk- trying to think. They were technically Dunk City. The Clippers were Lob City. Yeah, Blake Griffin, right. Chris Paul were, were Lob City. Blake Griffin, by the way, you ready for this? And okay. Very unpopular opinion, and it's perfect because I can end it right now before we get to Adam Archuleta. Uh, I'll say it quickly and then run out the door. You ready? Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, both two of the most overrated players in NBA history. Our next guest, by the way, from a personal standpoint, might have waved at me on I-70. I don't know. He was arriving in St. Louis after my, just as I was the last year that I covered the Rams, uh, living in St. Louis, which I enjoyed. Adam Archuleta was just joining the team. But more importantly, and the reason why we have him on now, he will be on the call this Sunday for the Colts in Jacksonville. And he joins us on the hotline here on the company. Adam, first off, thanks for your time. How are you? Yeah, man. Uh, I am outstanding. And I, I think I remember that day I was waving at you. So, <laughs> That's right. Um, hey, man. Good memory like that. Listen, I, I was saying before we get to the Colts, I will tell you, I don't, it was like a year or two ago, I was in St. Louis, and so I went over to Rams Park, and it's eerie. I mean, like, it literally, it looks like they just packed up in, in the middle of the day, and, like, you can still see the faded lines in the parking lot that's like, you know, Mike Bart's parking spot and whatever else, and I don't know if you've been back by, I mean, it was a great facility, right? It was a beautiful area, and it's just, it's kind of sad. It's just decimated now. There's nothing there, Right. Well, I I guess I never thought about it, to tell you the truth. I, I went to St. Louis uh, one of the last years they were there to do a game. That was really the last time I had been to St. Louis, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't at Rams Park. So, well, you're bringing up some, some distant memories, but I, I, I guess I never thought about it. I guess it's empty and just sitting there, right? Yeah, they have the, the practice fields that you guys would have practiced on. They had like a couple of soccer goals. You know, soccer's a big – sport in st louis and i think they let yeah. kids like practice soccer there and that's it i mean outside of that there's kind wow. of nothing else in that area i mean it's it was bizarre yeah. man it was like literally it was like a will smith zombie movie or something you know what i mean yeah yeah I, that that's a shame um hey let's wow. get to this game as you're prepping for the colts and jaguars and we'll start obviously on the indianapolis side of things we now know anthony richardson out gardner Minshew in um, as you were preparing, Adam, and you've obviously already seen the Colts, how are they different with Minshew in terms of from a playbook standpoint? Do they open things up any more with Minshew, do you think, than they than they had done so far with Richardson? Well, it's going to be it's going to be hard to say because he essentially ran the same plays that they had in for Richardson because they're not going to just scrap everything in the middle of the game and then switch. Um, I went back and I watched the, I just finished up watching the Ravens game because I wanted to get a sense of, all right, how, how might they look if, you know, Gardner now is going to be the guy because that was essentially what was going on with the Ravens game. And for the most part, I mean, the quarterback run stuff and, 
And some of the defensive looks that you're going to get with Richardson isn't going to be there. But for the most part, the offense was very similar. Now, uh, there's a clear difference of both quarterbacks when they're actually in the game playing the game. But as far as schematics schematics go, it, it was very similar. Now, you have a little bit more down the field developing de- uh, concepts that, that they ran with Richardson. I don't know if Gardner is, is as has the upside that, that, that Anthony has. Um, but for the most part, everything else is their quick game and some of their, some of their play action was very similar. Adam Marjoletta joins us. Adam, when you look at everything that happened from an offseason standpoint with the Colts and Jonathan Taylor, obviously it was a big deal for the city and the team to have him back out there and then get to a resolution. I know he was limited. And I know Zach Moss kind of stole the show a little bit on Sunday, but what did you make of Jonathan Taylor and his return? Uh, kind of stole the show. Is that? I mean, <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably underselling a little bit there. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Look, it, what an incredible game by by Moss. Look, I think it's you know you didn't get you didn't see much from Taylor. Uh, I think for a multiple amount of reasons. Just you know he hasn't had a lot of real practice, and so um, I think they're going to ease him in. I think it would be silly to go in there and say, okay, Jonathan Taylor's back. He's had a one full practice with us, and then we're going to give him 20 carries. So, you know, I thought it was good to see him out there. But uh, as you said, uh, how can you not be impressed with what Zach Moss has done? And and I I think I even said it during the game that when I was prepping for this and then I saw that, you know, he was averaging about 93 yards a game rushing. I I had no idea that that he was that good and that effective. I know he didn't play in the first game, but, you know, Moss is – he's played very well, man. I think if you're a Colts fan, you have to be very pleased. Now – we saw him with the breakaway run. Now he doesn't have the game breaking ability that Taylor has. There's no doubt about that. But um, I think you got to be really excited and really happy about what Zach Moss has done. And he's really been an invaluable part of this offense. You know, Adam, I think you would have a, a different eye, not just because you played in the NFL, which right there gives you a different eye, but as a safety, uh, you know, you're kind of the center fielder, right? So you're looking at everything kind of – and I'm assuming that today when you watch football games, you kind of still see it through those same eyes of seeing how plays develop from the back, if you will. With that said, what is your assessment of the Colts' secondary to this point, which is very young but I think has shown some promise? But what do you say? Yeah, it. Uh, oh, give me one second here. I make sure my 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 air my AirPods don't go don't go low on me. Um, no, I think the thing that stood out for me with the Colts is um, their safeties. They got some veteran safeties. They really kind of they, they hold things down. And you got Kenny Moore, who I've always been a huge Kenny Moore fan. As far as just put him in the the category of football player. Um, I was a little concerned going into this last game. Uh, not that, you know, with the two young corners, not that they um, aren't good players, but they're inexperienced. And I did see some things on tape where I said, well, you know, maybe they have some trouble seeing some things with their eyes and their eye discipline. I thought Tennessee would have maybe attacked them a little bit more. So I think just it's a matter for those guys on the edge, uh, uh, speaking of, you know, um, the young corners, just to get more experience and really just get to a place where they can trust what they see. And I just see a little bit of indecision, but if you can get to a place where you see your key, you know, your key and you just go out there and play fast, then I think this defense has some potential. 
it's one of the reasons I, I really like Gus Bradley and, and the style of defense that he plays. I came from a similar system, and it's not a system that's overly complex as far as a lot of volume and a lot of scheming. They believe in, in teaching keys and fundamentals and playing fast and understanding how offenses are going to attack you uh, takes precedence over trying to fool somebody. And so for me, getting a young guy, getting ready to play in this defense, this is the perfect scheme. So I think this defense is going to continue to get better and better. And I do think this secondary uh, does have some potential once the young guys start playing a little faster. Is Zaire Franklin at this point an all-pro linebacker. Is he a is he a product somewhat of system funneling towards him, or is this guy your typical story of slightly overlooked coming into the league and now is just a bulldog magnet for making plays? Yeah, look, I I, I kind of take issue with the you know people like to throw around and, and this isn't directed at you when say somebody's a system player, a system linebacker, or a system quarterback. Everybody's a product of the system. There's very few players that are so good they could play in anything, and so um, so to me the system he plays in is irrelevant. I want to see does he play fast and does he make plays, <laughs> and he's absolutely done that. You know, tackle numbers can get skewed a little bit. Um, I want to know, are you making impact tackles? Are you making stops? Are you making stuffs? Are you making tackles for a loss? You know, when in that critical tackle, are you making a play? And that's what I've seen Franklin do. Um, but there's a lot of good backers out there that, that if you say all pro is he, you know, I think he can be in the discussion if he continues to play the way he does. Uh, in the run game, he has been exceptional. In the past game, you probably, you know, you want to get to that all pro level, you got to start making plays in the passing games, getting your hands on balls, getting the interceptions. I mean, you saw what the impact like a guy like Fred Warner had the other night, you know, so he is an outstanding linebacker. And, and just based on his story, um, I love it. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for him. And I love seeing guys like that have success. Next level get your hands on the football almost like you know think about what uh you know Shaquille uh, Leonard or Darius or Shaquille Leonard you know when he was at his prime he was making the impact those takeaway plays right that's that's all pro level stuff but I mean Franklin's playing the run as good as anybody Adam Archuleta of CBS Sports joins us here on Query and Company Adam pivoting to Jacksonville for a second. They start off with that victory over the Colts, improved to one and zero. Then they lose two, and they win two, including a gritty win against Buffalo. Are they closer to a team floundering around in the South, or are they closer to the favorites they were projected to be in terms of this division? I think they're closer to to one of the top teams. Um, look, you never really know. Week one, you, you just you never know how the first quarter of the season is going to pan out. Um, you know, they had some disappointing games. Um, but what I saw was when I watched the Buffalo game, and then you know, I started watching some of the Atlanta game, uh, what I saw was a team that has the ingredients you're looking for. I saw a team that has a quarterback that's starting to uh, not just be out there and react and have potential, but to a, a quarterback that's, that's playing the game from ahead. Like he's, he's taking that next step where, where, you know, he's really, he's dictating what's going on. Um, he was, he's excellent in that capacity. Um, the way he threw the ball down the field, they have three receivers with over 250 yards of offense. 
the way he operated under pressure, how many times somebody was free and he just avoided them in the pocket and not only got the ball out, but he was able to strike downfield for big plays. Like to me, that's next level quarterbacking. And so they have that. They have an explosive runner in ETN who's a home run hitter. So they got a guy that uh, not only in the in the run game but also in the passing game causes uh, matchup problems. And they they have a defense that is starting to come along. They're they're not there yet because to be that elite defense, I got to see you get after the quarterback a little bit better. You know they're a little inconsistent rushing the rushing the quarterback, and then you got to start to take the ball away. But from an offensive standpoint, to me. Uh, uh, right now, they're the class of the AFC South, and, and certainly they're going to get better and better as the season goes on. Adam I, Adam Archuleta is our guest. You're going to hear him on the television call for the Colts and Jaguars coming up this weekend. I have been uh, – I'm a huge Clemson fan, open disclaimer, right? So I've seen Trevor Lawrence play. I've talked about it on this show. Um, and I had – you know, coming into the league, obviously we know that he is starting to show that promise. But – what is it do you think if anything maybe i'm wrong here it just seems like there's still the the last piece missing for trevor lawrence to be to show in fact that he is the guy and he's the guy is just the consistency of it you know what i mean like putting it together one week to the next am i being too critical there um maybe a little bit um i think you got to remember you know his rookie year i i can't count that look one thing that I, I've always known this as a player, but even more so now that I, I get a chance to look at the league globally and I get to see practices and meet people and, and have a lot of great conversation. Coaching matters. Coaching absolutely matters. And, and it, it matters, especially at the quarterback position. And so I think that, that we, we also got to understand that, you know, he's very young in Doug Peterson's system. And so you saw him finally get some stability in year one with Doug, right? And then he started to take, take some steps. And now what I'm seeing is a quarterback that is really starting to see the field and, and starting to play. You don't see him processing in real time. You see him reacting, right? And you see him, you see him turn into a guy that's making plays and, and not really caught off guard by what a defense is doing. So to me, yeah, maybe it's a little bit critical, but um, I, I look at it as a young guy that, you know, had to erase a lot of bad stuff that he was taught in his rookie season that is finally getting coached. He has some really good players around him and he's going out there and just playing ball. And so uh, I think that he's going to continue to get better and better. And, and, and he's got potential to be one of the, you know, a top five quarterback in this league. Adam Archuleta, uh, Adam Archuleta, last question for you, and I appreciate the time. I, I, I do enjoy asking this question because I think it's a good barometer for those of us in Indianapolis because we are in the snow globe of the Colts. So from the outside <laughs> perspective, when you look at Indianapolis, you analyze their roster, you look at the way they're playing, You know, obviously you've got the curveball of the Richardson situation, but give me two teams. Give me two teams in the league right now that, like, if you were to break teams down, that you kind of see as being on par with Indianapolis. So for Colts fans, the national perception of where the Colts are would be the equivalent of which two franchises right now in terms of their level of competitiveness within the league. Oh, boy. Now you really put me on the spot. Um, Look, I, I, I can't. 
I can't compare them to a, a, a – I don't like comparing teams to other teams in the league, you know, because it's – Every team has their own personality. They have their own their own their own growth chart, their own identity, and, and where they're at. And so you look at a team, you know, how are they playing now, and does this team have potential to get better? And then how much better do they have do they have to get right? And so that's how I judge the Colts. I think, you know, you you really had to be excited about where Anthony Richardson was early. He was much farther along than I thought he was going to be coming out of college, Agreed. just because yeah. of the just because of the rawness. And just you know, as an example, I had Josh Allen, and, and I was wrong about Josh Allen, but I had Josh Allen maybe three or four games his rookie season, and maybe two or three games in his second season. And in, in, in those games, I thought to myself, and I told my partner, I said, look, I don't think this kid has it. He has no concept. Not only is he inaccurate and wild, he doesn't know what is going on out there. Like, he, he literally has no clue. Um, I have not seen that from, from, from Anthony Richardson. I think so from where Anthony is now to where Josh is, and I think it's a great comparison because they have similar games. Um, and I think Colts fans would be pretty pleased if he turns out to be like Josh Allen. Where he is now compared to where Josh is, I think he is light years. So to me, I got to be excited. Now, I know the injury thing throws a curveball, but I've got to be excited. I think you have really good coaching on your team. And so you've got those boxes checked. Um, I think you've got a lot of pieces. I'd like to see you get more explosive in the passing game. I think that'll come. And then just get playmakers on defense, guys that can consistently you know, if you can generate 20 sacks, get a couple guys on your defensive line that combine for 20 sacks and then start taking the ball away, then I think you've got some real potential. But the building blocks um, to be there, I think, are there. We just got to get the young quarterback on the field and playing and getting some reps and experience. Adam Archuleta is the only man born in the state of Wyoming that was not totally sold on Josh Allen from day one. The rest of the state, uh, you can go into any Walmart, and they got Bill's jerseys everywhere you look. Uh, Adam, appreciate the time, man, and certainly look forward to the call on Sunday. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Adam Archuleta joining us on the hotline. Appreciate it. And again, the call Sunday. Colts and Jags. We'll come back. Uh, I always say put a bow tie on it. I guess we'll put a bow on it. I have something to present to John when he comes in. If, if JMV makes his way in for the handoff here, I got something to hand off to him besides just the microphone. I guess we'll do it all next. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, all MLB playoffs. Give me the Atlanta Braves for the money line over the Philadelphia Phillies. The Astros take care of business over the Twins. The Dodgers get up off the mat against the Diamondbacks. Eddie, I have some breaking news to share as well. In a shocking development that surprised nobody. Penalties levied against Kansas basketball today. 2018 Final Four banner coming down, plus they'll vacate all 2017-2018 wins. No further punishment to Bill Stealth or anybody on his staff. (laughs) Color me stunned. You know, I remember years ago, a buddy of mine that I grew up as a huge IU fan with, and he was like, you know what? They just got, I mean, just let's just start cheating, man. Let's just go with it, roll with it. And I'll never forget the line he said, bring on the final fours. We'll worry about the sanctions later. The banner comes down, really. So that never happened, John. Never happened. Nope. Never. Nobody ever talks about the Fab Five doing anything. That's right. Yeah, exactly. There's no record of that, right? Nothing. Zero. 
Bill Self, I hate Kansas anyway. I think the whole school sucks. I mean, sucks, and I hate the basketball program. I'm sorry. I know you went there for one well, semester or believe, so. Believe you me, part of the reason, um, John, I did so well is because I had I shared that same sentiment. I hate time it. I was there. hate it. I hate <laughs> watching when they come on. I can't turn it quick enough. There's no bigger... Really bad, not you know, good used car sales, bad used car salesman like dude than Bill Self out there, is there? Slick Willie uh, does it that. again. He has a unique, I, I will tell you this, he has this weird skill, and I'm being totally serious. If he meets you one time, he never forgets, like literally. Yeah. I'm, I don't mean it figuratively. Yeah. I mean like like he meets somebody and then immediately remembers like where he knows, like name, how he knows him. It's weird. It's cool. I, I covered him when I was in St. Louis. He was in Illinois. Like one time, like I covered him, did a thing with him, and literally like the next time I saw him like a year later, he's like, hey, Jake, what's up? I mean, it was like, whoa, wait, what? Is there any school you hate as much as you guys both? USC. US, USC? Kentucky. That's weird. Oh, Notre Dame. Yeah, okay, there, you go. Got you now. there you go. Kentucky? You hate Kentucky? I hate Kentucky. I don't even hate Kentucky as bad as I hate Kansas. Really? Like I hate Kansas as a school as much as I hate the state of Michigan. Okay. They both suck at that level. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I don't know. I mean, Kentucky, I respect Kentucky basketball, and I've gotten to know some I, of their fans. And, and I like driving them, through the state of Kentucky. They have nice roads. They do and have that. And some places, indoor plumbing. And Louisville's cool. Uh, Louisville's cool. I've had, you know, Twig and Leaf is good. A little late I love. Dinner. I love having to pay money to drive over a bridge. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot. And I always screw that up. There's one of them you can go over for free, and I always screw <laughs> yeah. it up. Here, John, I got you something yesterday. You did. Thank you. You are, you are a nostalgic guy, right? I am. You like nostalgia. All right. It's Halloween time. What's the best Halloween costume you ever went as as the a kid? The best Halloween costume, I actually, before Retro came in, this is back in 1989, I went as John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, okay. Tony Manero, before Retro came back in, so I was ahead of it. If you came to my house as a kid dressed as John Travolta, it would be obviously like 1977 uh-huh. or something and I'd go, here you go. Oh, yeah. Happy Halloween. Well, see, I probably wouldn't like it that much because I was a Reds guy and not a Yankees guy here, but who can forget the three-home run game? I have that baseball card. The top baseball three card. Three pitchers. If you, guys, if you guys are looking right here, this is the Reggie Candy Bar. The Reggie Candy Bar. I won't be able to read here because I need glasses. Jimmy, what's it say It's right basically there? a bun peanut bar. Yeah, it Chocolate is. Chocolate-covered caramel and peanuts. Yeah, see, that's right up my alley, too. So I was on the phone with you yesterday when I was at Thank the grocery you. store, and I go, hey, they got Reggie Candy Bars yes. here. And you go, those things are good. I go, Oh, here you go. These things are like it was like two bucks, man. Two dollars. That's a, no, that's what yeah, Mr. Beast. You ever see that Mr. Beast crap yes. that's out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like two dollars, and it's like this big. It's like a fun size. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, my kids bucks, are going, Mr. Beast. It's two bucks or the thirty seconds you just took out of our show, right? We, or actually, we took out of yours because we're over. That's all good. Uh, John's up next. We'll be back with you tomorrow.